The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 375. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey, Noah, guess what? Big show today. Big show? Big show today, Noah. We went to OSCON. It's OSCON 2015, and we got a ton of really great interviews from the floor. We got to talk to a few projects that we have been wanting to get more information from for a long time, ones we've followed with massive interest. I can't wait to play those for you. Plus, in the news segment... Those crazy cats over at the KDE Project, they got plasma for your phone, and it's actually pretty interesting. We're going to tell you all about that. And the big push it gave plasma on the desktop, that's going to be really interesting. Red Star is adding something sneaky to your files, and there's a couple of really important games that just landed on Linux this week that we've got to tell you about. Plus, before all of that, Noah, it's our picks. The picks. The picks. And this week, I got something special that was sent into the show a few weeks ago. And uh, I, had, I hadn't had a chance to read through yet because it's a pretty massive post. And it, uh, it came in from viewer Steve, I believe was his name. Man, this no, I wonder if you've ever done anything like this. I would love to do something like that. He called it Project Arcade Machine, and it runs Linux. And uh, some of you have probably seen some of these MAME cabinets before. And boy, is this one done right. Uh, and he has a whole entire construction process documented here on his blog. He says he starts out with two sheets of 3 4 inch MDF. Now, what is that MDF? No, you know that. You're a handy guy. Is that that uh, press board there, Noah? Yeah, it's press I, board. You know, I really couldn't tell you. Oh, come on, Noah. It's press board. I believe you. Come on, yes, Noah. Yes, that, that's press board, of course. Uh, Who doesn't and, know that? Anyways, look at this. So the guy, got, the guy goes through here. Steve goes through and documents the whole process. Oh, there he is with his kid. That's adorable. Uh, takes together some scrap pieces. And then towards the middle of the blog, you really start to see how it kind of comes together. As an arcade, you, know, you can really start to see it. But then it gets to the parts you're going to like, Noah. He starts putting in the controls, and he starts putting in the Linux. Oh, and of course, look at the painting there, too. He yeah. Got, yeah, he got a nice, really nice uh, color scheme on here. You guys can check out all of it. Uh, he also hooked up some uh, controllers in case you want to play with those, like from the Xbox 360. And then he decided to install SteamOS. So he put a yeah he put a uh, he put a uh, Pentium D820 in there with four gigs of RAM, a terabyte hard drive, and an NVIDIA uh, 96 GT. Uh, and uh, running SteamOS, he's able to play uh, regular games and also any arcade games. He has an ASUS 24 mon 24 inch monitor that's the arcade display, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, he says uh, it took a lot of work to get it all mounted in there. Uh, you can see it; uh, it's hanging from some braces right there in the sort of the uh, top right there. There's two braces that the monitor hangs in there. And then he put pixel glass in front of it. It looks really, really sharp. And there's the back Noah, where you can see there's the Linux rig right there running SteamOS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love when people do this stuff from scratch. Like there are plenty of ways that you can that uh, that people modify things to you know to retrofit things, and that's pretty cool. Man, but when you build something, when you're starting from raw materials with a saw and a hammer and, and nailing some screws and some paint, um, that's really a, that's really a one of a kind device. Plus, probably sell it for like ten thousand dollars if you ever decide to use. By the way, no, chat room's got the uh, de definition for you. MDF is uh, you ready for this? Medium density. Perfect. Density, sorry, medium density fiberboard. Oh, like the things that the little desks in the kids' desks are made out of that flip over. I think so. That kind of stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Look, that okay. was, so it's probably it's probably really sturdy. Yeah. And look, he's got speakers right there that he, he put uh, a cover over, and then there's a close up there of the uh, of the Linux rig, which is sweet. And look at the control That's surface really cool. there. This is super cool. And this is something, you know, you just hang on to forever. And, yeah. and, and it looks like the way he built it, really easy just to uh, break it open from the back mm -hmm. and replace that PC. And you get a whole new, you, get, you know, the whole cabinet just got a massive upgrade. 
that'd be an awesome project for somebody that has some some handy skills and some time on their hands. Uh, so, anyways, we have a link to this in the show notes. He's got a complete guide on how he uh, he, he who's also inspired by another post, and he links to that. And it's at radicalbomb.com and radicalbomb.com, and also uh, we'll link in the show notes the uh, the the uh, the Easy Cab Arcade um, post that inspired him, which includes some of the exact tools to use and stuff like that. Isn't that neat? That is, and the and the fact that he uh, documented the entire process means that if somebody else wants to do it, um, they have a pretty good idea of how he did it. Right? In a true open source nature, you might mm-hmm. say, Noah. I, you know, I got something else you I want to tell you about. That's our friends over at DigitalOcean, first sponsor of the Linux Action Show this week. DigitalOcean is our go-to Linux infrastructure. It's simple cloud hosting, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. In fact, if you go over to DigitalOcean.com right now, I want you to use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. That's a promo code of absolute knowledge, power, and authority that'll give you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. And why would you want a $10 credit? My friends, you'll get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Now, if you're a baller like Noah over here, you might have just banged out like a whole ton of interviews, added them under Linux, and uploaded them to a DigitalOcean droplet also running Linux, then had them downloaded to a Linux station and played under Linux for the Linux Action Show. Right, Noah? And while doing that, you may have run out of space this morning when you woke up to go into the shower and you thought you were going to drop all those interviews into the DigitalOcean <laughs> droplet. So then you may or may not log into their very intuitive dashboard, click on the resize button, and then 30 seconds later I had 10 more gigabytes that the, the, uh, the Magic Bumblebees had replaced the hard drive. Yeah. One solid state for another solid state, and then I was able to upload all of my interviews, still take a shower, and still make it here. And then thanks to the uh, super fast connections, have. I was able to get them all downloaded uh, before I even noticed that happened. <laughs> so if you use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, you could try it with $10 free for two months. It's a $5 rig. Why not? They got Fedora, Debian, Ubuntu, CoreOS, even free BSD. And like Noah said, that interface to make it all possible is super, super intuitive. And really, you could automate it and replicate functionality on a larger scale with their straightforward API. And their API is slick. They've revved it recently. And members in our community have created apps around it. There's a bunch of really good apps already built for you. Plus, if you just want to use their interface, you're going to be totally satisfied. That's what I use. And they have all the stuff you might expect. Snapshot and droplet management, DNS management, one-click installation of applications. So last digital to get that $10 credit, just to try this out. Go put an Ubuntu LTS rig up in the cloud and put Mumble on it, or own cloud on it, or use it for storage space. At $5 a month, the value is insane. And thanks to Linux's incredible memory management and those SSDs with are incredibly good I.O., you can get so much out of a $5 drop. And like if Noah says, you ever got to a point where you need to expand, stepping up is really straightforward, and the pricing is really, really logical. It really makes a lot of sense. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, and try them out. And while you're there, take a gander at their community section. A lot of really good stuff is written up over here. Uh, I think there's some of the best tutorials on the web. Sorry, ArchWiki, it's true. There's some of the best tutorials on the web posted over at DigitalOcean.com. It's because they're willing to pay people for it. And you might check it out. They might have a position open for content editing. DigitalOcean.com. And use the promo code LASTDIGITAL. Get a $10 credit. You can apply it later to your account, too, if you forget. And then try it out. Two months. Absolutely free. DigitalOcean.com. LASTDIGITAL. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Now, uh, you know I'm a big Plex guy. It's something you and I go back and forth about. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be locked down to one media center application. And uh, I, I got to be honest with you, Noah. And I know you're. Not, I don't think you share this opinion, but uh, I am super burned out on IR remotes and hooking up like USB receivers that are like yeah, external I'm, that hang out from my machine and make a mess. And you know what? The I, latter, like, yes, but the former, no. I, I actually prefer IR receivers, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Hmm. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm curious because <laughs> I'm ready for them to die. So. 
the uh, obviously RF. Is, so let's start by defining what IR and RF is. If anyone's not familiar with that, IR basically sends a beam of light um, from the remote over to the uh, device, and then the device receives that beam of light, interprets it, and then plays stop whatever. RF does the same thing, but in in a in a, in a, in a radio wave. So for the, the difference is practical difference is I can change the channel with an IRO remote, but I have to be in right in front of the TV. With an RF remote, I can be three rooms over and use RF. Yeah. Or in my now, case, no- like I have like a my receiver is actually behind a covered door, and the RF goes right. through the covered door. Now there is no denying that RF is a better solution than IRF. There's there's literally really no advantage um, in 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 the end result of being IR over RF. However, if you were to use if you want the greatest level of compatibility, so for example, I have universal remotes. Now they're RF. They RF down to their base station. They have an IP base station downstairs, and then I, IP base station communicates with yeah. all the devices in the house. But in that. order for that to work, there's no universal RF that I'm aware of. There's no universal RF standards, but there are universal IR standards. So for example, yeah. I can learn how a remote sends an IR command from the actual mm-hmm. remote, but there's no way for me to learn that RF signal. Right. So for me, I would rather have the device support, even if it's only, I'd rather it support only IR, and then I can use an IR blaster and a receiver to convert that to RF, but then I can have, I can control it from my tablet, I can control it from my phone, I can control it from my RF remote, um, and all of that stuff, and from home automation systems, with RF, you'll never control it from anything other than the remote that came with it. So it's, it it provides for greater expandability in in my humble opinion. So this decision tree that you just kind of went down is kind of the process that I'm sick of going through because Mm -hmm. uh, I keep moving, like uh, today I'm watching Plex full screen on this computer, and tomorrow I'm watching it on Mm -hmm. this computer, and I don't want to move an IR receiver around, I don't want to move an RF receiver around, so this is sort of the battle I've been going through. And uh, editor Rikai, crack editor uh, and Googler uh, connoisseur Rikai, found a great uh, Android and desktop Linux app companion that essentially give you universal remote to any Linux computer in your house. Uh, so you can get, you can control pretty much any, first of all, let's just start with you get, you get a remote keyboard and mouse. So you can have remote keyboard and mouse on your phone or your tablet for your Linux box. So if you just want to move your mouse around on your screen using your phone, this will do that. There's a little daemon that runs in the background. I have mine set to boot when I it came. It's in the Archuser repository. There's also Debian packages available. Um, and it also then has packs available for it. So it has remotes specific for Netflix and remotes, remotes specific for VLC and Plex. And it gives you all of the major functionalities of those applications in a touch UI on your phone or on your tablet. And so you could say if you had like your TV your, your uh, if you're using your computer as your TV across from the room and you're laying in bed, you could then uh, advance to the next uh, episode in Plex or turn the volume down on your computer using your phone. And the nice thing here is you can have up a whole bunch of these on your network. So if you have a few Linux rigs you want a remote control, the the mobile applications available for iOS and Android uh, allows you to select which one of the computers you want to control at that time. And one in-app purchase unlocks all of the remote functionality. But if you just need basic stuff like volume, play, pause, mouse, and keyboard, you can use the app totally for free on both ends. You don't need to have uh, you don't need to pay anything. Uh, it was four ninety nine to unlock all of the functionality, and then I got things like the Plex remote and the Netflix remote and the Spotify remote, all custom laid out to control those applications from my mobile device on my Linux computer. Really handy, really nice, and uh, I, I it got to the point where I installed it, and then I forgot about it after a couple of days, and I just you know I just opened up the app on my phone one day, and boom, it just it still worked because it was uh, it, it came with a systemd init, and uh, it was great, Noah. And so the other day, as you know, I got crazy, 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 crazy sick. Uh, I got yeah, <laughs> yeah you did. And so uh, I was uh, stuck in bed. 
and I was a little delirious, and I really was very dizzy towards the end of the afternoon, and I just wanted to watch a whole lot of Netflix. I was like, you know what? Netflix is working under Linux, and I'm sick, and I'm going to watch... Uh, what did I watch? Oh, uh, oh yeah. I watched I watched some Star Trek. I watched uh, I watched some World War II stuff. I watched what America's watch? Book of Secrets. What uh, else? No, uh, did I, am I forgetting something? Do you, do you know I something? I don't know. It sounded like you, sounded like you remembered something. Then well, right over. because I watched America's Book of Secrets on the Playboy Mansion. Okay. <laughs> I thought there might be something adult yeah. yeah, it was good stuff. No, something it was good that stuff. required encryption. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I used a unified remote ex- extensively yesterday, and it also is available um, uh, for uh, for the other operating systems you might want as well. So it was really neat, and uh, it was free if you don't want any of this really crazy functionality. And it was really nice that they featured uh, Linux support out of the box. Yeah, so three ninety nine is what it is to unlock all of it. But the core features you can get eighteen. You can rec- you can control eighteen computers. It's it automatically discovers all of them on your LAN. Uh, it has a password protection if you want. You can do wake on LAN, so you can wake the computer up with a magic packet if you want. It has multiple different themes, and it also supports third-party keyboards uh, for free. So it's really cool. It's called Unified Remote, and uh, I've been using it for a few days. And uh, big thanks to Rikai, who uh, kind of pointed me out to it. Have you tried anything like this, Noah? No, I'm philosophically against smartphone remotes uh, because... When I when I want to, when I use the remote, I want to start the movie. Now, when I want to pause it, I just want to grab the remote and hit the pause button. I don't want to turn on my phone, unlock my phone, open the app, and hit pause. Yeah. to me that is just I totally just feel that way. Uh, you know what? You know what yeah. actually changed my opinion is after using the Chromecast a little bit more, I realized it oh, wasn't yeah. actually so bad. And you know, it's a pretty yeah. nice compromise because I almost always have my smartphone next to me. So I guess that's kind of yeah. Nice. I, I guess that we have uh, so I have the same universal remote in in every room in the house, so I can grab any remote that's lying anywhere and use it on any TV. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I've never, I've never really in a place where I, there I'm not really close to remote. And then if I have to, I can always pull my phone out and, and do it that way too. But I don't know. I guess uh, different strokes for different folks, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, no, uh, some people that are watching the video version of the show might notice that you look a little, uh, maybe like you've had a diet. Like you look a little thin, like a little, yeah. maybe so, four by three, not so 16 by nine, you might say, Noah. So it would appear to do a show all on Linux, you have to make some compromises sometimes. And you know, you know what I really like? And we've talked about this before, but it's really great when we get feedback, when people write in and say, hey, guys, um, I, uh, I do a lot of professional video editing, and so in the settings menu, there's a way to change it from 4.3 to 16 by 9. So that's why it's short. Like, he's, he's hamburger. We want him to be hot dog. Not hamburger, hot yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's like, we know. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> we know. In fact, yeah. we complain about it every time it, it, it comes up. But yeah. it, the, here, here is the choice. The choice is you get this, or you get audio only, or you do the show by yourself. Yeah. Those are the three options. And or, or or we just don't do the show. There's something that comes into the show often enough that I thought we should actually feature this in the show so that way people know that we, in fact, do know about it. And if you don't know about it, because every time somebody suggests it, like in the subreddit, a lot of people in the comments are like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And it dawned on me that it's maybe not as well known as people think. So you may have heard us on the show talk about Jitsi in the past. Jitsi is a multi-protocol desktop application that allows you to connect to pretty much any instant messaging SIP uh, or, uh, you know, um, really any kind of uh, communications network. It's a really cool application. It has some buggy uh, bugginess around it. You're also probably familiar with WebRTC. We covered WebRTC a couple of years ago on the show. And there is a product from the Jitsi folks built around WebRTC. And it's mate.jitsi. And it's the Jitsi part is .git.si. And right now you're looking at it from my bonobo here, and it essentially creates a Hangouts-like experience. And I'm going to take this uh, URL I have here, Noah, 
And uh, I'll try to I'll go ahead and drop this in the chat room here in a second, and then people can um, people can uh, hang out, and it, it creates like a hangouts like experience for free using uh, open source software, WebRTC, no flash required. So that's really nice, and you know, if uh, if you want to just do like a like a like you could use it for gaming or anything like a group meeting or even a business meeting, if you don't have to have like super super crazy high end uh, AV quality and real nice tight controls over uh, what uh, what exactly everything should be at, what bitrate everything should be, what keyframe should be, like you don't care about those kinds of things. This is super great for this because what essentially it does is it uses uh, it tells the web browser. Whatever the best you can do, just give me that. If you can give me 16 by 9, give that to me. So now here I have a bunch of people joining me. Hello, guys. Somebody. There we go. Okay. Now make sure you're not naked. Uh, you have to call or you have to turn your video off, too, or your audio off. You have to turn your speakers down, caller. So uh, that's always going to be your thing, right, Noah? When you're when you're doing group hangouts like this, it's always going to vary depending on people's connectivity. But right. you, you can kind of see already. Look, I've got different boxes down there at the bottom of the screen. These are different people that have joined that are uh, just like you do in hangouts. I can click between people. I look at all these people that have their cameras off. Come on, somebody turn their camera on. Well, maybe that's not a good thing, Noah. Maybe we don't want that. They're uh, all in their skippies. Yeah. So here's the here's the issue I have with this, Chris. Yeah. It look it's great, right? And and so and the things based on WebRTC. I mean, when Dylan and, and Noah were were doing their thing, I I put them on uh, on on Firefox Hello, and they were talking back and forth. That's great. The problem I have with this is I want you to change the uh, resolution. I want you to specify to always send 720p for me. Yeah, right. And actually, right. while you're at it, I'd also like you to go in there, and I want you to specify the frame rate because I only want it to capture 30 frames per second. Oh, and can you specify the bit rate and the Kodak used to send it? No, and, and if you oh, you can't do any of those things. No, and that's you know that's why that's why it won't really work that well for us necessarily right. because uh, you know those are things we can't do. But if you don't care about those kinds of things, if you just want a good picture and or a good enough picture from whatever the mm -hmm. webcam can do, I mean, it'll do this. Look, we got we got people joining us right now, and they didn't have to do much; they just had to launch their web browser. Well, and, and, and look how we have one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people in this hangout right now. It's yeah, not even it, a hangout, it, but yeah. Well, so, but the fact that you're confusing it for hangout, the fact that that's what your mind instantly goes to, tells you that there's that it, it is a perfectly workable web conferencing solution. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And everybody can go in there. They can add. They can add their own names. They can have their own. They can have their own icons. And there's, uh, you know, it's got a full setting setup. But you can go in here and. Uh, you can uh, specify uh, this kind of stuff. You can specify not to start with video by default if you want. And again, I got to say, no flash. This is all built into the browser, right? So, yep. uh, yes, your Linux Action Show is aware of solutions like this, and uh, we recommend you go check it out yourself, too, because uh, they are uh, pretty cool. Okay, I'm going to turn on the audio and see if we get anything from anybody. Hello, uh, hello, Jitsi Room. Hello, hello, guys. Hello, how are you today? Hi, good. Hi there. You guys are probably getting me on the webcam, I bet. Yeah, hi there. Hello. Hi there. Sorry for the awkward up-the-nose angle. You know, it's the best I could do on short notice. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, guys. What do you think? It's pretty nice, right? It's not so bad. It's not I so like bad. It. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so bad. Now, how are they getting your audio? Is that taking it from the Bonobo's uh, internal? Yeah, mic? I just have it from the webcam mic right now. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't bother running a cord. I could, but it's just going to be whatever your pulse audio defaults are. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, that and you can. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. neat, right? And it wouldn't take mm -hmm. much, yeah. So anyways, uh, we'll have a link to that uh, in the show notes. And uh, so, yes, uh, our video today is perhaps doesn't look as good as uh, the, 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 the web version of Jitsi might today. <laughs> but uh, for our production requirements, that. yeah, I know, I, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, for our production requirements is what we're using today. But you could check it out for your needs. It might just do the trick. It's meet.jitsi.si. Anyways, the, it's one of those, you know, hip URLs. We have it in the show notes. You know about them, hip URLs. All our past links at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. All right, Noah, let's do the news.
Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Everybody, why don't you go to last.ting.com? So that way you get our special $25 discount off your first device or Ting credit for a service. But also just to support the show, last.ting.com, and then go check out the Ting service because they do something pretty neat. It's no contract, and because there's no contract, there's no early termination fee, and it's only pay for what you use wireless. They just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they add them all up, and whatever bucket you fall into, that's all you have to pay. It's $6 for the line. And that was pretty cool this week uh, because you $6 for, for a line, you, when you actually get to use that in practice, it becomes very practical to have a couple of devices for testing, and it becomes very practical to just try something out for a little bit and see if it works for you, and then if it doesn't, just turn it off. And so this weekend, Noah and I were talking about different phones, and Noah's been going through a search, and he's had a Galaxy S4 on Ting for a while, but it's kind of gotten to the end of line. And this is what was really cool about the Ting service, is we were able to just experiment this week. Yeah. So one of the things, I, I have always liked the UI modifications that Samsung's made to their phone. The other thing is, I store a lot of stuff on my phone. I put, uh, I put when VLC came out for Android, I realized I could store my ISO movies on my phone, but that's they're like 4 gigs each. Um, so right now, I could have a 64-bit card or a 24-gig uh, SD card in my phone, but no other... World, no other uh, good phone uh, is being manufactured these days with an SD card reader, and so I've been looking and and throwing up different options. And Chris said, "Hey, you know what? Maybe maybe you want to borrow my uh, my Nexus Five. And I have to tell you, uh, so first of all, getting it off Ting couldn't have been easier. He he went into his dashboard and he disactivated it from his account, and then I went in and added it to my account. Now, one little caveat I ran into that I think we should mention mm -hmm. is that SIM cards are one-time use only. And in fact, I knew that actually in the back of my head, mm -hmm. but I had forgotten. And so I got back and I was entering the number, and I had to enter it like five or six times and before it didn't work. And then I started googling around. And, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, you know, the nice thing though, sort of the uh, sort of the uh, bit of sugar that helps with that one use only is uh, they're like uh, they're like nine dollars. And oh, yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah, it's there's no contract. Nominal. That's the other yeah, thing. In you fact, I had I got overnight shipping with my with my uh, SIM card, and I think it was still only like 19 bucks. Yeah. Shipped to my door overnight. It'll be here on Monday. Yeah. Um, and then you know that it was like it was fr it was so it was really practically speaking it was Friday. It was like Thursday 3 a.m. But Friday <laughs> is when when I actually decided to do this. Um, and so and it actually led to another blessing in disguise, and that is that I have I, I actually have been using it just on Wi-Fi for the last uh, for the last 48 hours. The Nexus Five. Um, yeah. And and surprisingly, it's actually worked really really well. Um, and so basically what I've done is I've set up SIP on the phone, and I just when I, I, I don't have service, obviously, in the meantime, except when I need it, what I've done with there is, as you were saying, $6 a month, you can have devices just sitting around. So I have a Ting hotspot that, because, I mean, who in, works in IT doesn't have a Ting hotspot. Uh, and so I've just, I've been powering that up if I need service in the car. And then if Perfect. I, like, on the way here, I wasn't really worried about it, so I just didn't even bother turning it on. And I've been using it uh, <laughs> when, when I get Wi-Fi network to Wi-Fi. And network. how's that SIP integration work? Is that SIP integration working okay? Oh, yeah, there are so many things that I like about the Nexus 5 that have changed Android yeah. for me. So well, many things that have never Lollipop now. Lollipop's nice. So Bluetooth has never worked for me properly. I didn't know that it wasn't working properly because I never really thought about it. So, for example, I just thought it was normal that it would just pick a random Bluetooth device and connect to it, <laughs> and then you had no say over it. In, in here, I've learned I can prioritize which Bluetooth devices I want to connect, which ones I want to automatically Hallelujah. connect, which ones I want. Yeah, something I didn't know that I could even do. Um, I actually ha I did not. You'll be proud of me. You'll really be proud of me. What, I did what? not pull my laptop out 
the entire trip home. What? No. Yeah. Is that the yeah, first I, time ever? That's the fir- that is the first time I've gone more than maybe six hours without pulling my laptop Look out. Look at you I'm getting just, stuff done. I have been living on Android. Then I got home right. and I actually bought a Bluetooth mouse, mouse and keyboard and I bought a little stand and so I put the phone on the stand and I, that's what I was using last night. Um, no kidding. To, to, yeah. To so this is basically, actually, this has saved Android for you. Sounds like you were about it ready is, to bail, it, weren't you? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I haven't. I, w- I was never a particularly Android lover, and I still don't yeah, know. Yeah. I still don't. Well, as we were talking about in uh, in Wendy's of all places, I still don't think I trust. I have an innate trust for Android, like I have an innate trust for Linux. I yeah, don't even right. think about the security implications when I put my data on a Linux box. That's definitely not the case yet. But this this is to me. This is the first time I've ever been. I've ever felt like I'm actually using a smartphone, and I'm not just using a feature phone that has some smartphone capabilities. Because mm-hmm. that's essentially how I use my smartphone before before you let me borrow this. So this is this is changing my perception of Android. Took all my pictures uh, instead of glass because glass died on me. Uh, all my pictures. We uh, we actually I took Sarah and the kids out on Friday, and we went to a couple different places. Took all those pictures with the Nexus Five camera. Yeah, amazing. You know, these, Did a panorama. That's, that's for the first actually. Time. Remember when I asked you? I said, "Do you take a lot of pictures with the phone?" You're like, "No, I don't take any pictures with the phone." I'm like, "Well, you might right. now." Because the camera yeah. is better. It's not great on the Nexus 5. So what's, that is a, like, for example, so I've switched to the S6. The camera is, is, is just phenomenally better than the Nexus 5 mm-hmm. camera. But it just gets, keeps getting better and better on these phones. And so it really does, like, as it starts to get better, like something you didn't use the phone before in the past, now you're using it for that thing. And, and, and as it gets more competent, you just can start to switch over. And I think over time, more and more things kind of happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, it's, it, it is, it's, there are things that I thought I would not like about it. That are turning out not to be a problem. So I thought that uh, no expandable memory would be an issue. I've just changed the way that I store things, and I've started using uh, on the go to to get a couple of that well, stuff. I wonder if that won't eventually become a problem for you. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I thought was going to be an issue, and it turned out to be the exact opposite, was my battery, as you're as you're painfully aware, dies every five hours, four hours, if I'm lucky. Oh, on your and on so, your S4. Yeah, I would so say less just, than five hours even. I would, yeah, yeah, so I always thought it was necessary to carry like three or four spare batteries so I could just swap them out all the time. And I'm like, how am I going to live if I can't do that? And as it turns out, I charge this thing one time on Thursday. I woke up at three in the morning and it didn't die yeah. until about four in the afternoon, five in the afternoon. And I'm like, holy cow. Well, And, and, I, and I was using it a lot. I, I, will I mention, had podcasts though, going the whole way there. I was playing Monopoly. Uh, yeah, I, I will mention though, you did a couple of big things that I think make all of the difference. Is when you turn off cell phone? Yeah, no. When you well, when you first started setting it up, you also opted out of like a couple of the Google like location things. And oh yeah, the, what was yeah. The, there was a, two Google things you opted out of at the beginning. I op- yeah, I opted out of the send reports to Google. I opted I optimized Google location services. Yeah. I opted I opted out of the automatically backup all my stuff. I turned all right. that stuff off. And that makes yeah. a huge difference with the battery life. And then because you're not using the uh, GSM antenna much, although it is on still, right? Your GSM antenna is still on. Yeah, it could be. I, I guess, but it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be connecting. Not to a lot a tower, of transmitting. It could still be pinging yeah. the tower, but probably just not a lot of transmitting. Yeah, maybe. I, I, but the thing is, I didn't even turn those things off based off of a battery. I just. I don't like those things on. I. I don't use them. I'll right. back up. I'll take care of backing up my own stuff. And Google, you can find somebody else to to get your usage data from, not me. All right. Well, so, so there you go. And that uh, that is. Uh, and of course, having all this on Ting makes us experimenting with this a lot easier because Noah's not now in a contract for trying this, and it's just you know I was able to go to my dashboard and just delete it. Now before we get out of here, we do want to cover our app pick like we do every single week and Kyra's here with our app pick of the week I'm not sure what this one's called I think it's I'm going to take a guess I think it's pronounced Swappa Kyra am I right? What's your phone worth? I'm Kyra and this is the Ting app of the week Maybe you can sell your S4 Noah (laughs) Swappa is an online marketplace where you can buy and sell used devices If you've ever wondered how much you'd get for your phone if you were to sell it this is the app that'll tell you 
While you can't buy or sell directly through the app, it's a perfect price checker and the first of its kind. Just tap to get a realistic valuation of your used smartphone. Here, you can select a specific model and view a pricing chart of your phone over its lifetime. Tap the orange circle in the bottom right to check out other devices too. You can use the search bar or sort by manufacturers and providers, like Ting. If you're thinking about an upgrade or just wondering how much you could get for your smartphone, Swappa Price is worth checking out. Grab the app for free on Android. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks for watching and see you soon. Last.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show, last.ting.com. Uh, you know, I think uh, it's weeks like this we really like to talk about Ting because uh, they really help make our OSCON coverage possible, too. We had it, Portland is great with Ting coverage. And it, it honestly, like the hotel we stayed at, um, also had really great Ting coverage versus all the other providers that were struggling there. Uh, so last.ting.com, go check it out. Now, we're on the mobile topic, and that is our, actually our first story. This is sort of interesting. Um, Plasma Mobile, a free mobile platform for the mobile era. Now, uh, this is the Plasma desktop stack rebuilt and reimagined for the mobile phone. And in fact, Noah, uh, here, they're demoing it right here on a Nexus Five, as a matter of fact, and they yeah, chat room is telling me I should be flashing the Nexus Five with KD. You could, you know, you actually really could. Here, they got a little video. I'll play this in the background uh, uh, as we go here. Let me, because I think it's got really hip music, so I'm gonna turn it down a little bit before I hit play, because I've learned my lesson. Yeah. So here we go. Introducing Plasma Mobile. Now this is pretty early. Uh, we're talking early days here, but have you had a chance to look at the visuals of this thing at all? Yeah, I did. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. It's like I feel like it was a it was a it was it's a dollar line, and I'm sure it. I I for the first time my entire life I've actually gone through and customized my entire Android experience. That the timeout where the display goes to sleep and 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 what icons are in which places and folders, rather than just taking whatever Android decides to give me. I've gone through and customized all that, and I found that that I'm trying to make that work as quote as a as a replacement laptop desktop thing. And I feel like if I do this, I and I, I don't mean to offend anyone, I feel like I'm just going to get a crappier version of Android. I feel like I'm going to have some of the same concerns I had about Android, except I'm going to not have as many apps. Yeah, but here's the one big concern you won't have, and it's the one that eats at you over the long term, is the trust issue. Because this yeah, is a totally, yeah, this, is, this is based on Kubuntu. Yeah. The uh, display manager is Wayland, right? That's what's powering the graphics. And the top is Plasma. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think we both acknowledge that uh, while Android is definitely the most feature-full mobile operating system for reg for average consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we it, it's part of us wishes and yearns for something that was really kick-ass on a really great device. And even even like the Ubuntu Touch images aren't really available in the U.S. on good hardware necessarily. Yeah. Like I'm not willing to go back to a Nexus 4 to have a totally free software stack. Same with the yeah. Firefox OS situation. You can yeah. do it on the I Nexus 5, but it's it's kind of wonky. Yeah, actually, um, you know, you, you when you say it like that, that that actually is probably enough to at least get me to try it. I would at least I would at least try a, a mobile operating system if it ran pure Linux, just so I didn't have to have those those basic fundamental concerns. Because if you think about it, to some degree. I will always, no matter how much use I can get out of this, there'll always be certain things I'll have to do on a laptop because no matter how good the operating system gets, that trust issue will will uh, you know traverse through all of it. Whereas with this, now that we have the once we get the basic things right, yeah, I'll be missing some upper level functionality maybe, but I that will come in the future. Maybe Telegram won't ship out of the box. Well, but somebody someday will write a Telegram app. So you know, technically speaking, they say it should be capable of running basically GTK apps, Qt apps, uh, Android apps. They're not going to limit in any way technically. 
Um, and I, I look at this and I think, yeah, it's not going to be maybe as well refined as uh, something that's been in the market for a few years. But I think they're, they are maybe perhaps standing on the shoulders of some technology that's already been created. Like, for example, some of the graphics drivers are being made possible by LibHybris, which uh, mm -hmm. allows them to take advantage of Android video display drivers under Linux, just like uh, the Ubuntu Touch project has uh, utilized. And, you know, they're sitting on top of Kubuntu. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's the, those are some of the interesting elements here. I think we, uh, so we are all open to an alternative to Android, and some of the, one of the interesting things they have is uh, they're able to come up with something very quick because of the underlying technologies in the Plasma desktop and uh, Qt itself, and they were able to come together with something pretty fast. I mean, I think they've only been working on this for a few months. Now, we are actually trying to line up an interview with the project to try to get those details sorted out, so those kinds of information we'll probably get more refined on in future episodes very soon, maybe, in, uh, maybe even on Unplugged this week if it all works out. We'll see. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think that they are at somewhat of a disadvantage when you have prod mobile uh, alternatives to the mainstream mobile platforms that have more steam behind them, so to speak? I mean, you've got Ubuntu Touch, and if nothing else, they have the canonical name behind it. And then you have Firefox uh, OS, which not only has a Firefox name behind it, but it also has a niche market, which is that, you know, that, uh, that worldwide, very low smartphone, but, but modern and up-to-date functionality uh, kind of a thing and and I wonder you know is the does this offer some compelling thing that those other two don't do they have a niche where they can succeed you know or I don't know uh, you could maybe I don't know if this is an appropriate comparison but could you uh, could you ask that same question of uh, of valve and why they chose Debian over Ubuntu um could it be something well, similar? Like, you, like if I was, maybe if I was, uh, Ubuntu, if I wanted to, like, say, like, Amazon had just come into the mobile market uh, while this mm -hmm. was already out there, and they look uh -huh. what was out there, and they said, gosh, we could take this, we could put our Amazon UI on top of this, we wouldn't be associated with Canonical, we don't have to worry about any kind of uh, licensing or policies there that may now be better. Um, and maybe that would be a compelling reason. I, I honestly, part of me just doesn't care. So part of me, I guess I've gotten to the point where I just really want an alternative to Android that is Linux-based, yeah. that I can trust, that gives me basic functionality. And if this thing is going to be able to run APKs, so maybe from time to time I can have Telegram and Waze, um, yeah. you know what? Maybe that's all I need. And the thing is, I, I guess part of the reason why this seems more approachable to me is it's available today for the Nexus 5, but B... Um, I'm not, I'm not sniffing a lot of strategy tax off of this. What I'm sniffing off okay. of this is, this is for the world, and we wanted to take our technology stack and show and demonstrate how it, how it can do this. And maybe so, it's, it's not as refined as something that's been in the market for eight years, but uh, we were able to create this, and it's available for you. And it's not because, it's not because we want to own every device from mobile to the cloud. It's because right. we wanted to just show how this technology we created is capable of doing this. So maybe that's the niche then. Maybe the niche is that they're creating that phone for the user rather than creating it uh, for where they think that the best opportunity to capitalize is. So and th they, that, that's compelling. Here they're showing it running an Ubuntu Touch app, which <coughs> would obviously be very, very capable of doing that because Ubuntu Touch apps are QT, are cute. Um, and so... Then, what so? Uh, how do you think this compares to, say, for example, Sailfish OS, which has largely been uh, railed as as a very, very uh, Linux um, the the Linux enthusiast's choice, if you will, for a mobile platform and the ability to run native APKs. You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the underlying uh, pinnings of Sailfish OS, but before mm -hmm. ever looking at either operating system, I do know what I am familiar with. I'm uh, I'm familiar with the underlying pinnings of Kubuntu. I could open up a terminal okay. on a Kubuntu powered 
smartphone and I would be very sure. comfortable. I would know exactly how to make that machine do what I want it to do. And that's compelling to me. I don't have to yeah. learn a new Linux system. I don't have to learn the way they've laid out their file system or something weird. This is Ubuntu. And uh, I know how to make that work. And that to so me is fascinating. So to the best of your understanding, I type sudo apt-get install Inkscape. Inkscape, however usable or not usable, yeah. is going to show up on the, on the well, machine. Well, huh? you know, your Nexus 5 can do HDMI out of that bottom port. Yeah. Huh. Hey, that might be an... Uh, <laughs> just gave me an idea. Exactly. I was thinking about, uh, I have that, uh, that keyboard and mouse setup. Maybe I need to pair that with a monitor, too. Yeah. And now, if you could all of a sudden run Inkscape, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you'd want to do it on Nexus 5, but the S6 has an 8-core processor. That actually might yeah. be doable. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, well, I mean, the reality is, I don't need Inkscape. I need Gedit. I need a terminal. Yeah, I need a right. web browser and anybody. <coughs> and if I have those yeah. five things, you like okay. I'll give you a perfect example of where this would be better than uh, Android. The other day, I went to log into uh, PayPal. Now I don't pay for the LastPass uh, mobile app, which means I can't use LastPass on on my phone. Um, so I go to log into PayPal to pay for something, and it prompts me for my YubiKey, which, of course, I don't have any way to, to do because I don't have the actual LastPass thing on, on my cell phone. So I realize I have to go to a, find a computer and plug my YubiKey in and, and do the whole thing that way. And I could pay a monthly f or whatever it is, yearly fee, and it's mo it, it is nominal um, for the mobile version of LastPass. And then I could install the YubiKey app to, to get all that stuff to work. But it'd be a heck of a lot nicer if mm. I could just plug it in and push the one-time yeah. password button, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm really curious. I hope uh, our friends from Canonical uh, join us for Linux Unplugged on Tuesday because I would like to know their take on this because I'm sure a lot of this is based off of Ubuntu Touch, maybe all of it. But, of course, it's going to vary where they've, uh, where they've split from Mir to Wayland. And uh, that's going to be a big difference. And so I wonder, it's open source project. I wonder how they feel. So, speaking of that split, uh, the Plasma Phone, I love the name, the Plasma Phone really marks the first time KWIN is up and running beautifully on Wayland. And in fact, uh, KWIN getting up on Wayland is, is, is a thing now, thanks to this phone. Uh, Martin, the, uh, the main developer behind KWIN, made a post up on his blog. He says, Plasma Phone uses Wayland as the windowing system, with KWIN being the Wayland compositor. This is our first product which uses Wayland by default, and also the first product which uses KWIN as the Wayland compositor. The phone project pushed the Wayland efforts in Plasma a lot. And this is the only reason why we're able to make Wayland a technological preview with the upcoming Plasma 5.4 release. The phone project gave KWIN and Wayland into the hands of many developers who started to actively use it and develop with it. This obviously helped to find lots of small and larger issues which then could then be fixed. It triggered a stabilization process, process which has reached a stage that I can use Plasma Wayland sessions on my notebook with enough confidence that I won't lose data due to crashes. So thanks to the whole team for pushing the system to the limits. So here's what I'm getting from that article, and here's what everyone else should be getting from that article. People who use their own dog food produce a better product. Yeah, man. So, mm. I mean, <laughs> that's why when I see somebody who, uh, who is walking around with their Ubuntu Touch, I care a lot about what they say about Ubuntu Touch versus the guy who is talking about uh, one product but using, a, using something else all the time and says, well, here's my demo model. Well, what do you know about it? I mean, if, if it's what you use day in and day out, that's when you start to find the actual bugs. And, and, and I'll quote Alan Jude. He said, the best way to get a problem solved is a developer scratching their own itch rather than going through bug reports and saying, oh, mm. let's, let's read what the user said was a problem, try to replicate the problem and try and fix it. No, if the developer can see what's actually going on and experience it in himself, he knows, or he or she, knows what the underpinnings of, of, that, uh, of that software is, and they can crawl in there and then fix that, those yeah. things properly. Yeah. Speaking of the underpinnings, and just because it has Linux in the name doesn't mean we have to sort of uh, not stay at least vigilant a little bit. This next story was kind of surprising. Uh, North Korea's Red Star Linux 
has been inster inserting serial content trackers into files created by users of the desktop operating system. So it's inserting tracking code into files. Oh, this is this is kind of outrageous, and uh, I'm I'm reading off an article of, over by the Registered.co.uk, uh, and they're citing a study by a group called uh, Grun or GruNow, G-R-U-N-O. They say that files including Microsoft Word documents and JPEG images connected to but not necessarily ex executed in Red Star will have a tag introduced into its code that includes a number based on hardware serial numbers. When analyzing, sounds very Google-esque. <laughs> uh, when analyzing the OS, the first thing that came to our attention is that they have built uh, their own kernel module named RTScan. This is a binary running that is named o, uh, it has, it's named OPPRC and a few more binaries. One that seems to st uh, stimulate and pretend to be some kind of virus scanner. It pretends to be a virus scanner and seems to share code base with uh, OPPRC. The first thing that came to our attention when looking at the functions of the binary was GPS watermarking information was one of the <laughs> calls. Uh, creating and using media files and documents on Red Star S can get you into trouble if you're living in North Korea. Do, so they, that's one way they can track it they can track it back to people is actually inserting like information like this. A probe of the GPS watermarking information function shows it would watermark documents, images, and even audio files that have been run on the operating system. So just even running them on the operating system. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Although, I mean, really, I guess I guess I keep forgetting that we're talking about the People's Republic of North Korea, which the only thing that's true about that is it is in fact located in North Korea. Yes. But uh, I mean, really, it's North Korea. What did you expect? <laughs> it just it, it feels you know what it is. No, is it just feels it feels dirty, man? They're using our Linux to do dirty things. I hate it. I yeah, I mean, so that is Linux's strength, though, as well as its weakness, is that anyone can do whatever they want with it, good for good or for yeah, bad. Yeah. And so, and yeah. we've actually, you know, we've heard uh, people, uh, that is it, that is, yeah, yeah. All right, well, I just thought that was, a, that was a particularly creepy story I wanted to talk about. So let's bring it up. Let's let's levitate the mood a little bit. Now Let's I know, talk about Google. No, 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 no. <laughs> come on, come on. Let's talk about video games. These are some really oh, yeah. good, yeah. We got some really good games that have come out this week, so I wanted to just take a moment and uh, take a Steam update. Knights of the Old Republic sequel. Now, this is an old game, but uh, this is a classic Star Wars game that just landed on Linux. And the reason why I'm giving it a plug here on the show is that the shop that did the port, uh, Aspire, has done some really great work for Linux. Some of the best ports, and I've already installed it on my machine. Because it's a little bit older of a game, it's one of those where you can go in there and max out all of the graphic settings, and it just makes you feel like a boost because uh, you've maxed out all of the like the anti-aliasing and whatnot. Really fun game. I really want to recommend you check it out. Uh, and it's a pretty good price. And I, I want to. I also, if you um, are Maybe not a huge gamer like I am all the time, but you still want to support developers that are porting apps to the Linux platform. Aspire is setting the standard. Aspire is like, they've been around for a long time. They started as a Mac shop, and they made really good Mac ports, and now they're moving into Linux. And they've been around for a while, and they have a lot of credibility. And so uh, I think if the Linux community were to show that uh, we appreciate a good port and not just like something wrapped up in some, uh, some sort of uh, wine-like thing, um, that'd be a good one to pick. Now, another game uh, that's uh, landed that you probably know about uh, but it's a big deal. Terraria is a, it's a game that people lose their entire lives to, I'm, I'm led to believe. I've actually never played it because it just came out this week for Linux. And it is a massively popular game. In fact, one time, no, I was getting my hair cut. And uh, my, uh, my hair cutter guy, he's like, uh, hey, man, you ever played Terraria before? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, it's pretty cool. It's like one part Minecraft and one part this and that. And he goes in and it's like a, it's also like exploration game. And I'm like, and then he's like, he's like, he goes on and we're going like 10 minutes into it. He's like, yeah, yeah. And he's getting really excited. He's like, but don't ever play it. 
I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you'll get totally hooked. You'll, you'll, you'll ruin your life. Don't ever play it. So anyways, uh, Terraria. Been there, done that with a couple games. So it, I understand where he's coming from. If you want to get it under Linux, uh, it's not. It's still in beta. So the way you have to do it is like buy it under the Steam store. You buy it under a Linux machine, under like the web browser, uh, because it's not available yet technically for Linux. But then once you buy it and it shows up in your library's installable games, if you right-click on it and go to properties and then go to the betas tab and enable betas of Terraria, it'll then be available to install under Linux. If you don't do that, you're going to get a 0K binary. Uh, so you have to turn on the betas, but then it's available for Linux, and this is a landmark game. Yeah, a, a barber, a barber thing, a haircutter person. Well, I didn't want to say, like, stylist. I didn't want to say hairstylist, yeah. No one would give me a hard time if I said stylist, right. so. That's right, that's right. <laughs> that mistake has already been made. Because it's not a stylist. Like, it's, hey, listen, buddy, I wasn't going to throw you under the bus. I was going to let you go with haircutter person. I wasn't going to correct you, but it did cross my mind. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I noticed that. So, yeah, there you go. I'm just really excited for those games because uh, those are some, those were, uh, the old Star Wars game was a landmark game for me, and Terraria, I've been told, is like one of the threshold games to make a Linux gaming possible for a lot of people. We got links to all of that stuff. If you'd like to suggest some more stories or influence which stories are covered in this show, give more credence to other ones, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can submit stories there, you can vote on stories there, and your comments are really appreciated. It's always good, good to get your insights, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But Noah, that's all the news for this week. We made it down to OSCON 2015 in Portland, Oregon this week, and it was a heck of a show, and we have some fantastic interviews that we want to roll for you. We also have some more interviews in this week's Linux Unplugged, so be sure to check that out on Tuesday. Before we get into the exclusive interviews, though, I have to thank our segment sponsor, and that's System76. Head over to System76.com right now and get yourself a rig-powered, created, born to run Ubuntu. And these things are slick. Like, you want a hassle-free Linux experience? Like, have you been talking up Linux to somebody for a while? Or have you been, like, building your own Linux rigs or converting Windows boxes to Linux for a bit and decided you want a hassle-free experience? Man, you ought to suggest the Meerkat from System76. It's 499 bones, and that is a great little rig. These knucks fit in all kinds of places. Then you can step it up from there. Like, I love the Rattel Performance. One of the reasons I think the Rattel Performance is great is it's a nice, quiet <coughs> machine, extremely well-built metal case. All right, it's like aluminum very small for its size like you don't get a sense of like its actual size in the picture but it still has room for expansion down the road so like if you want to start with a really great budget well-built computer right here in the u.s of a and these guys really know how to build these rigs too and they are really well done and then later on you can step it up with dedicated discrete graphics or you can put in a, a, a something and you know there, i think it has either one or two pci expansion slots in there i'm sure they have it all listed here uh, and go to System76 and check it out. They have great laptops, desktops, and servers designed to run Ubuntu. It is really, really nice. Yeah, it's one PCI expansion slot right there, and that is slick. And, of course, it starts with the Intel graphics, too, so you get graphics out of the box that work perfectly with Linux, just like all of their machines work really great with Linux. I've got the uh, Bonobo Extreme right here that I'm rocking, and I love it. And, oh, man, they have that new serval workstation killer. Look at that thing. System76.com. Go over there and tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Get a machine that is built to run with Linux. That way you don't have to fight with hardware drivers and stuff like that. You get to just play with your Linux. System76.com. You know, it's actually kind of a shame that, uh, that uh, the timing worked out such that we were trying to get more attention to OSCON during the time. But if you, if you recall, like all of those how-to segments that we did the last couple weeks, all of those would, would have been dramatically, the, the difficulty would have been dramatically increased had we not had System76 hardware. So mm -hmm. the fact that I can just, because it's, it's not a pain to reload the machine, because I don't have to worry about enabling the Broadcom drivers, or when I, wanna, when I wanted to swap a wireless card, I didn't have to worry about, was it Lenovo approved? I just 
open the back up and yeah. took the screws up, put the new one in, booted it up, and it worked just fine. And so we could go from segment to segment like that, and that kind of stuff is possible because of the fact that I know without a shadow of a doubt that every distro all the time on the first try is going to work right out of the box. System76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you and get yourself something nice. So OSCON 2015 just wrapped up. It was the last OSCON in Portland. They're moving down to Texas this year. Now, uh, OSCON is a massive event, and a huge portion of the event that we don't really put in the show itself are the individual training sessions, like the hands-on training and the rooms you go into and you sit and it's kind of like almost like a college course on a particular thing. Now, what we do is we go down the floor, we do these interviews and whatnot. That's what we get to show you. But there is a person behind the scenes that puts all of this courseware together and sort of tries to orchestrate OSCON as a major event with a 50-foot view, and she looks down at that and tries to put it all together. And uh, she's done something new this year, and it's got a lot of really great responses, and so we thought this would be a great way to show you a little bit behind the scenes of a large conference of some of the people. This is Rachel, and she's the chair of OSCON. Right outside, kicking off our day at OSCON uh, 2015, we're here with Rachel, and I understand that you have been an integral part of OSCON this year. Yes, we have been working on OSCON for about 10 months, and we wanted to do a massive overhaul on how we were presenting everything. Uh, we went from uh, languages to uh, problems and solutions, and I think it's been a big hit so far. All right. Now, as far as being a big hit, there are a ton of exhibitors. I mean, the exhibition hall is huge. Uh, tell me, what is it that draws those, those uh, exhibitors here to OSCON? Sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of choice for developers today, and I think that people come to OSCON to see what choices there are. I mean, it used to be back in the day, you were basically like, I'm using Java and Eclipse, and that's my choice. But now there's just so many different frameworks. Mm -hmm. I mean, JavaScript frameworks alone, I mean, how many are there? There's like 20, I feel like. Mm -hmm. um, so they come here basically to show, this is why you should use this. Or they want to be thought leaders. They want they want to um, recruit people. You know what I mean? They want to say, we want to be a part of this community. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think that they gain um, they gain audience when they come here. So for somebody who's maybe not been to OSCON before, somebody that maybe this is uh, maybe this is their first time at OSCON, mm -hmm. um, what would you say? What would you say are the things they'd have to see, or what are the what are the what are the kind of the key points of of, of OSCON? That is a good question. So I think honestly, it should be 50% sessions going in and, okay. and really seeing which ones resonate because you want to get some some inspiration, you want to get some actual techniques that you can go back and use. The other half. Like roam the, the hallway track. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that's really powerful because you could go and find someone that is using some different JavaScript framework mm -hmm. or someone that's using COBOL, and, and while you'd never use that, mm -hmm. you'd be like, wait a minute, I never thought about things like that. Because what I'm finding is that basically a lot of these issues have come up before, mm -hmm. and people are like, well, back in 1983. Mm -hmm. And so while the context around it has changed, there's some people have thought about this already. Yeah. So let's not lose that history, let's bring it up to Today. It's modern. Figure out how to use it today. Outstanding. That this is actually so. Being uh, based out of Seattle, it's obviously it's a no-brainer for us to come here to Oscon. But I understand this might be the last time we're going to be here in Portland. Well, it, I don't. I won't say the last time. Okay. But we are definitely next year. We're taking it to Austin, and it's going to be in May. And the reason we're doing that is we really want to just spread the love. We want to make sure that people from the Midwest can come in. We want to. We we appreciate everything that Portland has done to bring this message forward, mm -hmm. and we want to make sure we continue to bring that message across the U.S. across mm -hmm. the globe. So we're also doing one actually in Oscon uh, in Amsterdam and. October. Really? Yes. Okay. Now, is that is that that's going so like uh, for example, LinuxCon does like a LinuxCon North America, LinuxCon mm -hmm. Europe. So is are, is is this is this OSCON expanding then? 
Uh, yeah, we're, we haven't been to Europe, I think, for about seven or eight years, so we're really excited to go back there. And it's a, it's a little bit smaller, but what, I what, I've, what I've set up there is basically it's kind of the best from OzCon US, and then sprinkling in the flavor of what, what's important to Europeans and hearing what the European voices have to say. Outstanding. That uh, that of course would bring in you know a whole different uh, a whole different capture of 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 speakers and presenters and of course exhibitions and too. Absolutely. I mean, we're just starting to look into what the sponsor ecosystem looks like, and there's wonderful speakers from all over that are using open source because open source is the de facto standard now. And I think that what's so interesting is finding out what anti patterns people are using, what case studies, because it's been happening for 20 years. So there's a lot to be learned. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. If people wanted to find out more about OSCON, they're interested in attending OSCON uh, next year. Actually, is it too late to attend this year if they're seeing this? You could definitely stop by. We're happy to have you stop by. That's great. Uh, you can go to OSCON.com and get all the information. And uh, you can always go to O'Reilly.com and check out our blog on Radar. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate having Thank you on the show. Pleasure. So that was Rachel, and uh, I thought one of the things that uh, stood out to me there is uh, that they're, they're firing up in Amsterdam, which is going to be slick as heck, and I'm curious to see how the Texas thing goes, Noah. And you know, uh, I think both of us agree that OSCON, the, the, the kind of events we go to the most are like... Um, a lot of community-based events, and so the budgets are a little right. tighter. But O'Reilly, yeah. you know, they've been doing OSCON, like she said, for 17 years now. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a serious event, and one of the things they started doing this year, to some mixed reaction because of the crowd, is uh, a lot of RFID tracking. There was like an RFID ribbon in our badges, right, Noah? And yeah. Then, so basically, it would go through, when you went through the door, the antenna would pick you up, read you, and then check you into the room, monitor your duration, and check you out of the room. Mm -hmm. They actually printed the RF, they actually printed the badges that you were required to wear on top of the RFID paper, so there was no way to remove uh, the RFID chip. Um, Which is actually so, kind of an expensive process, too, to be able to print it right, onto yeah. the badge itself. Right. Uh, so, and so there, there are two uh, different tracks. I think the majority of the people that are at OSCON, uh, I think they go down that track of we are here to learn how to capitalize on open source, how to sell open source products, what open source products are available to support business. And in that realm, you don't worry about it so much. I don't think something like that would go over at all at uh, at a fest. You would never see that. Well, I don't know, think that would work. It's kind of right like, but what's the difference between something like that and like download stat tracking and and click like, tracking Google Analytics on the website, stuff like that. Because, because, because th that is a choice. You have a choice to use it. If you want to attend the conference, there was no choice in those. You had to wear the badge. You had to walk in and out of these rooms. You had no choice. Hmm. I would say that's the difference. I guess, yeah, I mean, you have a choice not to go to the conference, but you might not know ahead of time that they're doing this, I suppose. So what's interesting uh, is this obviously gives them metrics. Uh, like, this lets them know when the media are in the media room. This lets them know uh, what, if they, how, what the traffic's like out of the expo hall. And, you know, they're able to get very accurate counts. Like, they had over 4,000 and attendees at OSCON, they're able to track that very accurately. So getting that heat map information is interesting. So the way this works is, is to our understanding, we, we had a little behind-the-scenes chat, is um, a, a third-party vendor can come in and offer a service to uh, conferences to offer this sort of uh, tracking. So you're going to see this become much more common because it's essentially a turnkey service for conference organizers if they can afford it. And then the company provides them with metrics and a dashboard and analytics of the data for them. So it's not really something that the conference organizers even have to really man uh, uh, manage, which is pretty yep. neat. So I, I, I guess, they, yes, it's creepy. I just don't want to have a gut. I don't want to have a visceral, oh, my gosh, that's creepy, because at the same time, then I think we have to turn off all cookies and all Google Analytics. It, I think it is kind of similar, because you mean, are so opting to go. You are opting to you know, how you, You're opting to. It was so, so I guess 
yes, you're opting to go, and that's true. But then I guess the answer to that is you just is somebody that's concerned about their privacy don't go to to a conference like Oscom. But that's sad that we have to say something like that. I would never mm-hmm. want to have to say something like that about like self or Linux Fest Northwest. I don't know. Well, I bet, if you care about your uh, privacy, don't come to the conference. Really? Because you're just a number moving through the rooms. It's not like that's they're... Not, no, that's not true. Because they he was talking about how they have they monitor the duration that you're there, so they send that information to if you have a company that has sent you to the conference and says, or you want to, to recertify your, your certifications and you have to have those continued education credits. He was explaining how they, they track that stuff and say hmm. that person was in this room hmm. for the required amount of time. Well, that's, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I guess I yeah. missed that part. I, uh... So, so I, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I get what you're saying as far as people that are concerned about privacy. You're right. That you, you don't use any kind of Google products. You don't use an Android phone. Um, but I, I, we do see those people at, at, uh, at, uh, at conferences, I feel like. I, I think, feel like we do see those. I think super, it's easy super... to I think it's pretty easy to sit back and say it's creepy when you are not involved in organizing a large-scale conference that has 4,000 attendees and vendors paying tons of money and sponsors paying tons of money. But I think when you can get real-world metrics uh, every time, we obviously do it. People track ins and outs of stores with door readers. Mm-hmm. The, the subway station tracks how many people come in and out of this. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your, your, your grocery store is tracking everything you buy with your loyalty card. Uh, so it, Yeah, but again, the loyalty card something I have to choose to use. The tracking pe- how many people come in and out, they are tracking uh, individuals coming in and out, but it's that's not tied to your registration, your email address and your name and all that stuff. Yes, Google is doing some of that stuff, but again, I chose to use an Android phone, and I accepted that. I, to, to the best of my knowledge, nowhere when I signed up for OSCON, um, and granted, I didn't read every single text. So I may have been there, but I don't recall seeing anything that said, and we'll be tracking every every room that you enter or leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I, so, I guess the other side of that is... You can leverage this tool to your advantage. If I, because I, I do continuing education credits, let me tell you, it's a real pain to fill out those stupid forms. Yeah, we used to have to go get the instructor to sign. I don't know. You probably did this back in your contracting days. Mm-hmm. You had to go get the instructor to sign the thing saying that you attended their their session or whatever. That's a pain, and then you got to keep track of that, and then you have to send that in. Um, this would be way better if I could yeah. just show up, uh, pay attention to the the information I'm supposedly going to to get, and then somebody else can worry about keeping track of where I was so, and for how long uh, and when and setting all that up. That's I'll give you an example of what does bother me more is not the RFID tracking because I feel like that is a limited time while, while for the for the day or two yeah. that I'm in this building. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a public space already. There's already cameras. There's already microphones. There's a lot of people coming and going. It's not. I don't really have any assumed privacy in that environment already. And they're not sure. like they're not. Tra- Tracking the bathrooms, you know, they're not tracking that kind of thing. They're not, they're not tracking the lunchroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what I kind of have more of is the intus- in the institutionalized, uh, sort of uh, standardized, uh, let me scan your badge and get all of your information before I give you something kind of thing that some conferences do. Because then you get on a little marketing mailing list, and then I feel like yep. there's more of a long-term cost as an attendee because yeah. now I'm getting spam and stuff. Not everybody does it, but some people do e- opt basically, to do it. Basically, everyone did it. I, in fact, uh, in fact, to your point, th- there was one that I thought was particularly bad because sh- he actually made a point to tell me that oh, and now we'll be able to contact you about blah, blah, blah. And before he said that, I didn't even, I really, I thought, my impression was, before when they'd done that scan thing, was that they just got a, a count of how many people they'd given things out to. And when he said that, I'm like, oh, great. So they, he now has all of my contact info so they can say, he specifically told me, now we can send you some of our best specials or whatever. Yeah, And, and it was one of those things where I'm like, don't? I, I mean, I didn't say that, but I didn't want to be rude, but that was the first thing that went into my head is, please don't. Yeah. Can you not? So that's a line that I think the conference organizers have to kind of look mm-hmm. at and say, okay, what is the long-term cost to our attendees and do we want to put them uh, that to them? And so that's, that is just quite 
kind of thing that I that bothers me a little bit more because uh, that is attached to my name and my email address, and that got printed on my badge. Uh, it's just a QR code, and you know, but again, I can opt not to show it to them. In so some cases, I did, some yeah. cases I didn't. So I do have a little control there. Oh, did you? Did they respond? Well, how did they respond to that? I just uh, I just didn't ask for the swag. If oh. I didn't want them to scan, I just didn't ask oh. for the swag. I wonder how that would work because you you I I would almost guess. Those people are professional and nice enough that if you're just like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with it, they'd probably give it to you anyway. Well, I, uh, I actually, do you remember our friends at, um, at uh, Chef? The guy at Chef, yes. the Chef booth? Mm -hmm. That, that mm -hmm. was he did. He said, yeah, okay, I won't. Yeah, no, 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 no problem. But I that was his, I think he like, didn't he proactively do it? Didn't he say like, I, I don't even ask to, to, to scan the stuff yeah, it was or his, something It was like his that? choice, yeah. Yeah. That was his, yeah. That was his But I'm style, wondering basically. if somebody asked, can I scan your badge if you're like, I'd prefer you didn't. I think that would, I think you would actually be all right doing that. Probably. Yeah, you probably, yeah. I, I don't think they'd be too mean about it, really. Now, yeah. uh, so that's sort of the corporate side of OSCON. And, but that's, you know, different conferences at different scale as they get bigger. These are the different things they run into. That's, this is not uncommon stuff. Um, the Microsoft Build Conference, I don't know if you know this, Noah, also did the RFID tracking stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so this not this is not exclusive to OSCON. This is something that's happening more and more at larger scale conferences. Now that doesn't yeah. mean though that OSCON doesn't have capacity to show some pretty cool community based stuff. In fact, our next clip is pretty neat. As somebody who's experimented a little bit with the, the uh, Oculus SDKs, uh, I was really interested to see what Firefox had to show for Firefox VR. <laughs> All right, VR is kind of taking off. That seems to be the latest thing. Last time when we were at Self, uh, Google made a big point to have uh, Google Cardboard. Now I'm here, and this is actually the first time I've ever had a chance to try the Oculus Rift. Um, now they're doing something really, really cool in that everything I've done so far has been in a web browser, right? Yeah, exactly. So everything we are showing today, this video, that uh, interactive content where you can reach out to a virtual object, everything is running on Firefox. This is a nightly version of Firefox where Mozilla, as Mozilla, we are trying to push something called WebVR. And if you go to mozvr.com, mm -hmm. we have every specification how you can actually build up on web using the web JavaScript APIs to interact with this. So everything is rendered here using WebGL on Canvas. Mm -hmm. You can interact with the lip motion sensor, the uh, Oculus Rift, with off-the-shelf hardware. You can start building your own games, own immersive reality content. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to lower the barrier for the content generators or the website developers who are already working with JavaScript HTML to actually go into the VR field without specific hardware or specific knowledge of specific programs. Mm -hmm. That's what we are trying to do here. Now, uh, if I wanted to use some of this VR technology, could I do this with my Google Cardboard? Uh, some of them, probably you can. We have not tried. But if it's the same specification, if it can connect with it, you can. So theoretically, Google Cardboard also sh shows you the same kind of content. So with, if you have uh, like it connected with uh, your computer. Mm -hmm. So right now how it works is that the Firefox OS, uh, sorry, the Firefox browser mm -hmm. actually makes it in extended desktop. Mm -hmm. That is get shown here. Okay. So if you do that same thing with Chromecast or Miracast something, you can cast your screen to your uh, mobile, you uh, can do it with cardboard. Well now why can't I use Firefox on, on like, like, let's say my cell phone? Well, since this is like nightly version, the uh, um, the mobile version doesn't yet support, uh, yeah. It Yeah, so yeah, I actually haven't tried the mobile version, okay, yeah. but since this is like nightly version, I'm not quite sure. But if it does support it, you can do it. So, does it, excuse my ignorance on this, does it require some sort of special functionality inside of Firefox? No, no. Okay. So, 
you just have to download a nightly version of Firefox okay. because uh, the code in stable and the beta is not yet uh, like they have not been pushed because they are still experimenting with a lot of API stuff. The nightly version you just have to download it. You can enable the web VR extension either by going to about config okay. or if you don't want it there is an extension you just download it, add on, click on it, it will enable it. So, there, so there is an extension, there's, there's something specific to Firefox that you have to enable yeah. to get this VR stuff to work. Yeah. Okay. Now. If that's not available for mobile yet, it may be available in the future, it or will, will be. be. It, it will be. Okay. So I'm actually not sure right now, yeah. so I cannot actually answer that. But yeah, so if it is available, then of course, and if it is uh, not available, but it will be. All right. Well, uh, if anyone wanted to play with this or, or look at this, would you recommend they just download Firefox and try and do it and install exactly. that extension? So, uh, so if you can show this, uh, so if you go to this URL, mm -hmm. and uh, so right now every demo I am showing, every demo which is getting showed here, mm -hmm. is available here, So and it's on GitHub, so they can actually download it, the whole thing in their browser, in their own machine, uh -huh. and they can play with it. Just a word of caution, this requires a pretty good amount of GPU power. Okay. That's why we, we are using this Razer laptop, because it has good, it's a gaming laptop, so it has good GPU. So otherwise, it still works in normal off-the-shelf laptop, but the video may be a little jittery. But the other applications work just fine. But this will work on, on any, I mean, I can run this on Linux. You can run it on anywhere, which supports Oculus VR driver. Since it's a browser, it can run anywhere. Yeah. Okay. And if I add another VR, as long as I can get the VR to work with the, comu the computing you, device? The computer work. device will work with that, just Great. fine. Great. Outstanding. What was your name again, sir? Uh, uh, it's Rabimbo. Rabimbo Koronjai. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Rabimbo, for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. We really like it. Yeah, this is pretty neat. So, uh, there, for the demo purposes, they had two things. They had an Oculus uh, SDK2, and then they had a leap motion sensor uh, sort of glued yeah. to the front of that. And the thing that let you do in Firefox VR is actually interact with the VR objects, like you could splash water and turn objects using the leap motion sensor. Mm -hmm. And so really at the end, when they're when this is really kind of finalized, you're going to need Firefox. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be a newer version of Firefox that supports web VR, and the host operating system has to support a VR device. And just like WebRTC, if those components are all met, then the web browser puts it all together and it'll work across uh, multiple, pla multiple platforms and things like that. Pretty neat. You know, and a couple months ago, you said something that I and I just it really resonated with me, and I think you hit the nail on the head. And that is that things like Google Cardboard are where real VR innovation is going to take off because that is what's going to be in the hands of everyone. And the thing that I like about the Firefox VR is that is the software component that I think the Google Cardboard needed. I don't know if you've played with the with the cardboard or the cardboard app. It's cool. They have a couple demo videos, but there's 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 a limited amount that you can do. So really, cardboard is a is we'll call it a hardware device. Hard, cardboard paired with your cell phone is a hardware device in search of a software solution. And now yeah. it seems like Firefox VR is a software solution in search of a hardware solution. Yeah. And so I think if you pair those two, I think you have the, the makings of a really, really innovative, is it going to be you know, super high quality, uh, right. super high build quality? Probably that'll, that'll not. Depend on, that'll depend on the GPU, but you know what would look good? And YouTube just announced it this weekend. YouTube is adding web VR support to YouTube videos. So there will be like 3D VR videos on YouTube that you could watch in Firefox VR on Google Cardboard. And it sounds corny, but it's it's actually, it's pretty doable. Uh, I like our next clip here. It's it's We walked up to this booth and we saw a lot of hardware components and we knew it was Linux powered, but we really couldn't tell what the heck it did. So we just, we said, hey, don't tell us. Tell us once the camera's rolling. 
Truthfully, I have absolutely no idea what I've just walked into. I met Peter, I see a lot of cool toys sitting out, and I just decided we'll stop and say hello, and I'll let him explain it on camera. So Peter, this all looks very, very cool. I have no idea what any of it is. Awesome, so this is um, the Kenoma line of Internet of Things prototyping products, okay? okay? And so what we've done is taken kind of Marvell Semiconductor Silicon, which is our parent company, mm -hmm. and brought it out for students and makers and hobbyists so they can explore hardware and software together. So our original product is Kenoma Create. This mm -hmm. is a mobile device, actually battery, legitimately battery powered. Mm -hmm. um, of course, running Linux inside. And it's got a Wi-Fi chip and a touch screen and a battery. So you can take this on the road, you can throw it in your backpack, and you can connect all kinds of different sensors. So here we turned it into an Etch-a-Sketch, okay. uh, for example. And so it's got an accelerometer and a button and a, and a uh, potentiometer. Sure. Um, here we turned it into a motion sensor. It's got this hoverboard that will detect my gestures as I move over it. And so all the, the cool thing about these is that it's all programmed in JavaScript. Okay. And so, yeah, you, I mean, you can dive down and program like a traditional Linux model, but you can, um, you can also do it all in script. Mm -hmm. And then um, the second product we have is Kenoma HD, which is hiding over here next to the TV. Okay. And this is like a, an HDMI stick that plugs into any display, kind of like a Google Chromecast. Okay. And um, again, lets you script anything you want to put on the TV. You know, we all have a display in our house that has an extra HDMI port yeah, yeah. or two, right? That's right. And wouldn't it be cool if we could control what's on that, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're just talking from that TV to all these devices over WebSockets, and they're pouring data in, and it's, it's visualizing it there on the screen. So this is very this is very conceptual. Then this is this is there isn't a prescribed way to use this stuff. There isn't a prescribed thing to do with this stuff. Yeah. It is the technology exists. Go for it. Do something interesting with it. You know exactly. We are providing the hardware tools and the software tools for people to make the things that they're interested in. You know, a lot of people are, are getting started with Arduino, which is an awesome yeah. way to do to learn about hardware. But they quickly you know get frustrated with 16 megahertz of power and 2K of RAM. Yeah. It's amazing what they achieve, but it's yeah. it's it's a challenge. Yeah. You know, this device is 800 megahertz with, you know, 128 megs. Mm -hmm. This one's dual core 1.2 gigahertz. You can do a lot. Yeah. And so, you can, and you can use your exact same sensors that you used with Arduino. You can just drop them in. So it's, it's you know, it's a path where you can get kind of more into kind of the real commercial world of what people are using. And our, our comp parent company, Marvell's customers, are using these exact same chips in real wor world products. Sure. So you could. So a person that maybe wanted to get into embedded computing devices maybe could start on something like this before they graduate to the quote unquote big boys toys. Well, I think this is the. I think this yeah. is the real toys, okay. and, and I think this is really. You know, we have people who are taking this. This particular chip is our smallest one, and they're mm -hmm. taking this and making uh, Apple HomeKit enabled products <laughs> out of it. For example, right? That's awesome. And so, I mean, these are real, real production code, real production uh, hardware, uh -huh. and the other really great thing is we're using JavaScript everywhere, and we've made a big investment to get it to run across all these. Uh -huh. And we're way out in front. We're actually using uh, ES6, the sixth edition of the JavaScript language, which was just formalized last last month. Okay. And so we're one of the first places you can actually use ES6 on real hardware, um, and not just kind of like in a simulator in a browser somewhere. Yeah. And so um, you're really, you know, with Arduino, you're a little bit behind the times. It's kind of old. I mean, it's, again, awesome, but it's kind of an older technology. We're really on the bleeding edge of kind of the latest technology here. Sure. Now, what are these? What are these little book things here? These are the best giveaways we ever had at the show. These okay. are uh, these are pure sticky notes. Okay. All right. So when you have ideas, as every engineer does, yes. 
you can scribble them down and stick them on your wall. Okay, well, I'll take one of those if you don't mind. Absolutely. I thought maybe there was some sort of electronic in there. I wish. With yeah. Next next generation. Okay. All right. That's that's a 1.0. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, or someplace you'd like to send people if they wanted more information about the project? If you uh, check out Kenoma.com, there's uh, all kinds of great references, and uh, our open source code is on GitHub. So you can just go to GitHub.com/Kenoma and check it out there as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Good talking with you. Thank you. Uh, the thing that really caught my attention about that one, not his magnificent hair, although that did catch my attention, was uh, the fact that they're backed by Marvell, which means that uh, they've got some serious funding and uh, they've got a serious interest in that whole Internet of Things uh, space. So that was pretty neat. Now, this next one I know was kind of neat for you because um, it was like obviously a big maker uh, like guy, but he was also a doctor and he was creating something powered by Linux that could help people with their health. And it was called, the name was great, Where Drino. Oh, come on, now Which that's I clever. had no idea what that did. No, but actually. you knew like there had to be something Arduino involved. So that I got wasn't our sure attention. about that, nor did I know if you could wear it. That's true, that's true. So we had to find out. Walking up and down the hallways uh, here, it's hard not to not to have little toys jump out at you. And then the sign, where do we know? It just, it, I think it, that might be one of the most descriptive business names I've ever heard, right? Because clearly it's a wearable based on Arduinos. Am I right? You got it. I got it. I all made right. it over the first hump. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So um, all these little things, uh, he's got he's got toys like you wouldn't believe, and he's got little holders uh -huh. for his little toys like you wouldn't believe. So. Uh, I can tell what your business does, but I have no idea what all these do. I mean, I, I'm assuming they're Arduinos, but based past that, I have no idea what these are. Tell me what all these toys do. Okay, can I start at the beginning? Yes, please. Which is why I wanted to make a wearable Arduino. Okay, let's start so, there. There's lots of wearables for fitness and health, and I'm into that. Mm -hmm. And I'm frustrated because every six months they change the interface so you can't get your data. They right. own your data, yes. you can't get your data. They do that. That doesn't work for me. Doesn't. So I said, I have to make my own. Mm -hmm. and. I want other people to be able to take advantage, so let's make it open source and let's use the most common hardware hacker design, which is Arduino. Mm -hmm. So basically, I found a way to make a small wearable gadget. It's a Bluetooth wireless sensor, mm -hmm. and it's programmable with Arduino language, and that's okay. the toys you're looking at here. Okay. So we can kind of go through and talk about what they do, Please. if you want. So the, the basic one, which we're looking at here, um, has the Bluetooth module, so uh -huh. it can talk to a phone or a laptop. Uh -huh. And it also has a nine degree of freedom sensor. Uh -huh. So it's got an accelerometer, gyroscope, magnetometer, so it knows exactly how you're moving. And that's, wow. that's the latest sensor. It's much more advanced than the typical fitness sensor, which is just acceleration. Uh -huh. It's got some memory and it's open source. So it will come with a fitness tracker, step tracker, but you can program it to measure weightlifting, yeah. bicycling, or maybe you're in a wheelchair, put it on there and program how far you go so yeah, people can yeah. do what they want with it. Okay. Plus they own their data. It doesn't go to some other company. It's like a pedometer on steroids. Yeah, except steroids are bad for yeah, you. Yeah, right, right. And this okay. Be, yeah. I used to be a doctor, so yeah. I got I to well, add a disclaimer. Yeah, that, I'm a retired doctor engineer, so that's why I'm doing this. Oh. So no, don't go on steroids. Okay. Um, so having, having said that, um, I want to do more with it. So this little board, these have a little connector. Uh -huh. That means you can expand them. So I did a little board here that's a heart monitor. Were you a heart doctor? Um, a general, general okay. internal medicine doctor. So with that snapped on there, you have a heart monitor. You could pull it, and I have cases for it, but I'm showing them in the raw yeah, here. Yeah. You pull this out of your pocket and check your heart rate. In fact, it'll check something called heart rate variability, which is stress level. Huh. So. Um, 
You could use it as a meditation aid or mindfulness aid. Mm -hmm. You could use it to see a recovery time after exercise mm -hmm. or anything you want. And this is another thing that snaps on it. This measures flex. So if you wanted to see um, someone, oh. how many times you're bending your joint or doing some rehabilitation, you'd add this and it would measure the flex. The idea is to let people invent whatever they want, knock down some of the barriers uh -huh. to that. So that's what Arduino is. So my, my father-in-law had rotator cuff surgery, and he had to do this. He had to do this exercise where he would crawl up the wall to see how far right. his arm would go up. You so you could use something a game to score it yeah. and motivate. You, there's an invention right there. Yeah, that or he, you know, he had to track his progress by drawing a line of how far up he could walk his fingers. Now you could just get up. That's a, the a, idea. Yeah, that's incredible. So lots of people have ideas, but it takes to make a wearable. It takes this big stack of skills. Um, I mean, at the at the bottom, there's this sort of hardware, mm -hmm. right? How to build hardware, how to make firmware, how to do wireless, how to do software, mm -hmm. how to do data, and then there's these other skill sets like, well, what, what about the human body? What's the normal range yes. of motion? What does a heart signal look like? And it's hard to get those together. So I want to create the full stack so that someone who's got one set of skills, like mm -hmm. software, mm -hmm. can improve that part and use the other parts. Or someone has medical knowledge and has a medical idea, they've got all this other stuff. So that's what we're trying to create. We're on crowd supply in pre-launch right now. We haven't started yet, okay. still getting ideas, looking for people that might want to join the project. Those are some cases we're playing around with. Mm -hmm. This is the case from the most common uh, wearable, which is a Fitbit, uh -huh. yeah. and there's millions of them, so we figured, well, let's make it fit that. So these yeah. will fit in that case. Wow. And we're also playing around with other cases because there might be many different ways to wear it. So there you have it. That's absolutely outstanding. If people wanted to find more information about this, they can head over to your website? They, we don't actually have a website for this yet. Okay. They can follow on Twitter, at Wearduino, okay. like the word on the sign, yep. or they can go to the Crowd Supply website, which is our partner who's going to make this, mm -hmm. and they have a Wearduino. You can search for Wearduino on Crowd Supply, and you find it there. You sign up, and we'll keep you posted. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, we really appreciate it. With me, I enjoyed the opportunity yeah. to tell people the story. You know, what's really cool is, uh, so on this open source hardware alley, uh, these guys, yeah, they're just sometimes one, two-man shops, and uh, they are just truly passionate. This is like their, this is their passion project. And so to get to talk to them is kind of inspiring. To be honest with you, I think that that kind of that kind of market, and I think you you can guess where I'm going with this, but that that kind of uh, that kind of one man operation is is what's truly interesting to see. If only because they eat, breathe, sleep that that is what they do. It's kind of what you're talking about. Um, and we saw a couple of those people. In fact, I can think of three off the top of my head. One being my most favorite interview of the the whole show uh, of people that that did just that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. this guy, the thing that was cool about that 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 last interview he is, and the, that just kind of kept striking me is, first he was a doctor and he learned the medical side of it. Then he's an engineer and he learned the engineering side of it. And then he put both of those two things together to come up with a wearable medical, uh, you know, tracker of sorts. Mm -hmm. And and you you ha in you know of all people, he would be the most qualified person to come up with to engineer a device that monitors your health because he's worked in both of those fields, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's the perfect person to be doing that. And uh, I, I thought that was a really neat interview. This next one, I was really excited to see. It's also Arduino-based, and it is so, so cool. It's Arduino Boy, and it's pretty successful already. 
Alright, we're here with Kevin, and usually I would open by introducing Kevin and then talking about what it was that drew me to his table, but the reality is, actually really what I want to know, Kevin, is where can I buy one of those? Uh, right now, uh, you can join a waitlist on our website. This is the Ardeboy. It's a game system the size of a credit card. Uh, go to Ardeboy.com, find out uh, where we're going to be shipping them out. And after we get off camera, you're going to give me the coupon code to get to the head of that waitlist? Uh, maybe we can talk about what kind of discount we can get you on one of the developer kits. Alright. <laughs> so. Uh, walking by here, hands down, the coolest thing I've seen so far, this, my friends, is a Game Boy built on an Arduino, and this guy made this a reality. Tell me how you had the phenomenon, not to mention this really cool sign. Well, thank this you. insanely cool sign, it's very colorful. Thank you. Tell me how you came up with the idea to put a Game Boy into an Arduino, and how many millions of dollars you think you're going to make off of this. Um, well, the Kickstarter just finished at just under half a million dollars, so we're, we're on our way. We're not quite there yet. Oh. Um, helicopter ride uh, will be coming this afternoon. Um, I started creating the Arduino game system because uh, I had all these fun electronic projects that I carry around in a Tupperware box and people yeah. ask me, what do you do? And I, it was difficult to show them. So I wanted to create a business card because it's easy yeah. to show someone, hand them someone, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I had uh, the display hanging around from another project. I started uh, hooking up this to that and I put a video on YouTube of it playing a video game and I got uh, half a million views. Yeah. Thousands of people said, oh, I want to buy one. So I quit my day job, decided to take it on full time. Wow, that's yeah. that's commitment to your little Game Boy. It's been it's been a wild ride. Uh, I was invited to go to the Maker Fair at the White House. Uh, the last year, I've been spending over six months in China, so really taking it seriously. Um, wow. It's all for my fans. They've been the people who made it possible by you know supporting me the whole way with their you know Facebook likes, uh, Twitter followers, and all that stuff. Because it's those things that show me uh, there's a, there's a real market for this stuff. So. I, uh, so, I mean, I, I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but for those that haven't figured it out yet, basically you've made a Game Boy out of an Arduino. Yeah, so the uh, cool thing is about it is that when you start developing with the hardware, sometimes it can be confusing working with resistors, capacitors, plugging in here and there. There's a lot of margin for error. So when you want to build something to teach electronics, it's really easy that everything's all in one. So we see this as exciting getting it into schools because they're already buying these platforms now, but this makes it that much more accessible. It's durable. They can take it home, share it with their family, put it in their pocket. And we expect to be at a price point um, much lower than buying all the kit parts together. And uh, I can essentially take this device and put Game Boy ROMs onto it and then... Uh, not quite. Not quite? Not quite. Everything's going to be specifically built directly for the Arduino processor. Okay. Um, but since there's already uh, other open source game systems out there, sure. you can port those over. We're looking at having a library of about 20 to 30 games already available at launch. Okay, and that and the, they will ship on that device or something. I download and flash on with one game on it, and then you download from the website anything for free. Outstanding, that's really cool. So uh, you said the Kickstarter wrapped up. When, if I were to go order one of these, when would it arrive at my doorstep? So we have the wait list uh, arriving uh, right now. So you can er, you can join on the wait list right now, and uh, we'll be letting people know when we start uh, making it into production. Uh, we would like to be able to get uh, people coming on after the Kickstarter sometime before Christmas. And what does something like this cost? Uh, we finished the Kickstarter versions between $30 and $40, and so we want to hit somewhere in that same price. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, if they want, if you wanted to send them to a website or contact info or anything like that, where would you? Where, where, uh, where can you get some of the more of those Twitter likes and, and Facebook followers? Yeah, just go to ardoboy.com.
Sounds good. Arterboy.com. Thanks for taking the time to talk so with us. So right, you, cool. Now, it's if you're listening to the audio version, you probably got an idea of how neat it is. But uh, if you're watching the video version, it is really cool. And it's got an OLED screen on there. So the screen updates super, super fast. It's it's really interesting. It's you know it's, it's little it's low tech, but the way the screen actually displays feels very modern. It was really a neat experience and extremely responsive. And, and what were your impressions, Noah? Well, so first of all, it's like it's basically like a smaller version of a Game Boy with a higher resolution screen but you know how like when you die in 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 on a game boy then you have to like you wait, wait for, for the reload. little animation yeah exactly yeah. and it's like you don't care about any of that this the second you die you're you're transported back to the start of the game and you can start over again and i the problem with that is i have add so that little break at the end is what allows me to like wake up and be like okay oh, yeah, what's going on in the world around yeah. me yeah right so the problem with that was like chris is filming and i know he's filming and we have other interviews i'm like up oh, died oh oh okay whoop died oh Oh, okay. Whoop, died. Oh, okay. Yeah. And like, I would have been there for like three hours. I could have <laughs> eaten my life up, and I would just, I would just forget how long I'd been. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, it, it um, was really neat. And it would be really great as a business card too. That would be a, that would be a really another really uh, yeah. neat use case. One more Arduino-powered device. This time, it was one of the most popular hardware devices at OSCON because it's a custom keyboard. It's a keyboard totally redone. If you went back to the drawing board and forgot about the typewriter and just wanted to have an awesome keyboard, maybe built out of wood. What would it be like? Well, it would be Linux-powered, of course. We're here with Kaya with a keyboardio, is that right? Keyboardio, that's us. All right, keyboardio. So now, there is a lot of talk of different keyboards. Uh, there's, you know, they have the Steel Series and they have DOS Keyboard, um, and then there's the people that just use the one that comes with their OEM ship. Right. What is it that sets keyboardio apart? What is keyboardio? Sure. So Keyboardio is an open hardware project, which is why we're here at OSCON. Um, and it is a comfortable ergonomic keyboard. So it's built around the shape your hands work. Um, so it's designed to be more comfortable to type on for long periods of time. Um, and it's also was designed by a programmer as the primary designer. So there's a lot of things that you type more often if you're a programmer or a sysadmin or someone else who does that type of work that we've moved into especially easy to hit places. So brackets, for example, I'm sure uh, probably take a huge uh, high priority then? Yeah, so brackets, um, instead of being off on the side to your pinky, they're just right above home row. Um, you hit, you can hold down the function key and hit UIOP and that gets you your curly and your straight brackets. Huh. Um, WASD moves the mouse if you hold down function. HJKL um, move the arrow keys, which if you use VI or VIM might be familiar. Um, yeah, and any keys that you hit and hold down, it's called cording, so control or shift or command, we've taken off of your pinkies and put onto your thumbs, which is a lot better for you ergonomically, and um, yeah, it just it feels comfortable, it's, it's a little bit faster, it's better. So uh, you said that this was designed specifically to be more ergonomic, and you used yeah. the word typewriter, um, and so can you give me a little bit of history about how the typewriter keyboard was designed? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of, people have written like entire theses on like the, the typewriter and the QWERTY layout. Maybe just the cliff um, notes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it was it was literally designed in the, the late 19th century. Um, and so it was based around what you could build then. Um, so everything was laid out in rows. Touch typing was actually invented after QWERTY was, was invented. And so, you know, there's different stories that I don't know if any of them have been proven around, oh, it was designed so that it was 
maximally inefficient to type on. Um, one of my favorite stories is that um, why shift is on your pinky um, as opposed to sort of in a more convenient place. And the reason is, is originally there'd been an uppercase typewriter and a lowercase typewriter. And they figured out, oh, you can literally shift the plate and the thing that the hammer strikes on a typewriter. Um, but they'd already done their tooling for the little hammers. And so they're like, well, we'll just put it on the side. Um, and so like one lazy engineer put shift on the side there, which is why, you know, now control and command and all these other things that didn't exist when the typewriter and the QWERTY layout was invented ended up there. Um, and so we've, you know, moved them into a place that we think is more sensible for the way that people use keyboards and, and computing today. Well, regardless of uh, regardless of if it can be proven that the, the keyboard was designed to be maximally inefficient, as you put it, yeah. um, there's no there's no contesting the fact that if you have a hammer that rises up, that hammer takes a certain amount of time to fall back down. So yeah. if you get two of them that are across from each other and they hit, yeah. it'd be a bad day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would imagine that some design went into to at least, it certainly wasn't designed for <laughs> optimum typing, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so tell me some of the advantages of your keyboard versus like the like the programmable ones that I can buy in Best Buy or Office Max or Newegg. Sure. Um, so it's programmable with the Arduino IDE. Um, so. Um, we're going to have, we haven't built it yet, but have a sort of software GUI configurator. Um, and then it's also, if you want to do really crazy things, um, you can. So if you want to extend it by making it wireless or Bluetooth, um, we give you all the pins that you have in an Arduino. So you can hook up anything that works in the Arduino ecosystem um, and it'll work, play nicely with it. Um, in addition, it's uh, mechanical keys, like the comfortable layout um, and so on, I think are a big benefit. But in terms of programmability, we're trying to give people as much rope as they want um, to, to play with, like actually give you firmware source as opposed to saying, well, you could remap a key here and there. It's like, it's really, truly fully programmable. So right now these keyboards, they're being programmed with like a config file? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a couple of text files right now um, is the way it works. Um, there's um, yeah, we're going to make it so that it's easy to do um, through a graphical interface. Um, but yeah, that's the the way it works inside is actually sort of astonishingly simple in some ways. Uh, I think that would appeal to a lot of Linux users. We're really used to just opening up a text file and changing the, yeah. the things we want. Now, where is that text file stored? Is that stored on the keyboard itself or on the computer? It's stored on the keyboard itself. And like one of the things, like I used to be an Emacs user, and like mm -hmm. you know my .emacs file was full of all these like weird configurations and yeah. stuff. And I liked it because I could take it, you know, with me from computer to computer. And you know, but when I moved away from using like Linux and Emacs as my you know primary operating system and, and text editor, like I noticed there wasn't really that for you know arbitrary operating system, ar arbitrary sort of key bindings and stuff. And so it was important to us to not build something where you have to install a driver just to use a keyboard, yeah. right? And don't install special software just to you know use the keyboard to type. So. Any changes you make, um, you can put it onto the keyboard and flash it there, and it will go with you from you know whatever laptop to desktop to work computer to home computer. Now, is there software that I have to have to flash the the new config onto the keyboard, or can is like can I can I somehow plug it in and open a text file and edit it? Um, right now, I think you would need to install the Arduino IDE. Oh, okay. um, which is free and open and easy. I think we're planning on changing that, but that's probably a question for Jesse um, in terms of the actual 
he's the guy who's doing the software engineering for it. So, anything else you want to add, or if somebody who's interested in purchasing one of these fine keyboards, where they would uh, where they would go to pick one up? Sure. Um, go to keyboard.io, keyboardio, or keyboardio.com. Um, we've got a ton of info on our website. If they have any questions, uh, we're re real people answering our email um, and are happy to talk with anyone about keyboards. It's fun to nerd out about it with people. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. My uh, pleasure. I love that one, too, because uh, off-cam we heard some interesting stories about uh, kind of devices that could be hooked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe like breathalyzers and, and things like that to the keyboards. Right, and the reason why. Yeah, yeah <laughs> those are good stories. Those, are, those don't go on camera, though. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you have to go to the conference, I guess. Now, this next story, this is funny. Like, I want you to picture Noah. Here we are. We're walking down the hallway at OSCON. I'm like, towards, Noah, Towards look. the end of the day, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm getting tired. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, Noah is starting to get a little sleepy. Yeah, and, uh, and we're walking around like, hey, Noah, check that out. That's the purism what, laptop. And Noah's like, what? 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 <laughs> he does like the double take. And we bolted over to this booth uh, because they had the Librem 13 and Librem 15 out on the table running real, real hardware for us to play with. And, of course, we had a million questions for this one. So we got to chat with the guy behind the purism laptops. Uh, and, uh, boy, we pretty much asked every question in the book. This will probably go down as my favorite booth in the entire Expo Hall. Um, for a long time, I have said that I think what Linux really needs is a beautiful laptop that runs Linux, a high-end laptop that runs Linux. And finally, I think that is coming to fruition with the Librem 15. Now, I was this close to buying the Librem 15. And the only reason I didn't was because they announced that they were going to have a Librem 13. And after living with a 13-inch laptop for a long time, I have figured out that that is the, that is the laptop size I prefer. I am blown away and, and, and just elated to find both the 15 and the 13 here in person that I can touch. These are real, they're not cardboard. And my, my savior, Todd, how are you? Well, that's nice of you to say. Uh, I'm fantastic. All right, so I have so many questions. So uh, first, why did you start Purism? Why, why does Purism exist? Uh, I mean, great question. So uh, initially, it actually started because I have wanted to buy, and every year that I go purchase a new laptop, I basically am like, I want to buy from somebody who has the same belief system I do, yeah. right? So, uh, so I would hunt around, right? And there's, you know, there's some very great manufacturers, or excuse me, not manufacturers, but installers of Linux on, right? So think Penguin, mm -hmm. System76, et cetera, which are great. Uh, they, you know, but what I want is somebody who's actually going to make sure that all the hardware is manufactured with my uh, vested interest. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what I went, and then I ended up basically saying, after 10 years of trying this and never succeeding in getting a machine that was exactly what I wanted, I um, then emailed RMS and said, "Hey, you know what? I, I want to meet with you. You're coming to San Francisco. Let's talk about actually putting out uh, hardware." Mm -hmm. So at that point, I got to know really from him what the actual belief system needs to be at the hardware level yep. and so then at that point knew that we can get 99.9% .9 there mm -hmm. uh, off of um, high-end hardware mm -hmm. right so that's sourcing all the individual chips so we're completely free from the bootloader right the entire kernel mm -hmm. all the software and all the um, uh, entire operating system mm -hmm. uh, runs uh, completely free the BIOS itself it uh, runs free, meaning it's core boot. However, we do include an Intel FSP binary, but we have three, today, three dedicated developers to, um, to free that uh, BIOS binary. And actually from this conference, we're even, you know, have more and more people are actually sure. interested in doing so. Uh, so we also fuse the CPU uh -huh. to run, um, to actually allow us to run uh, unsigned BIOS binaries. So the long answer to your question is that I really wanted to have a computer 
that was manufactured with my belief system, and there wasn't one out there, so that's the reason that we started Purism. When you go to design these computers, what is your opinion of, like, say, a MacBook? Well, MacBooks are fantastic uh, hardware quality, mm -hmm. which is why most developers actually use them. Mm -hmm. uh, the end, but the issue there is, of course, you're still running uh, uh, binary blobs to actually power most of those uh, chips, um, so it's not a completely free system. So, uh, so I, I do like Mac's hardware, I just don't like their belief system or philosophy. So, looking at these, it seems like a lot of the physical engineering that went into this is modeled after the same concepts that would drive a Mac user to buy a Mac. It's a very elegant design, it's a very beautiful design, it's built very, very well, there's no flex in here, it's an aluminum chassis, the keyboard feels great, the touchpad uh, feels great, the screen looks nice. Is that all because, uh, essentially, you're trying to compete with the MacBook? Well, I do say that the competition that we're actually, uh, you know, have mm -hmm. out there are uh, is Apple with the MacBook, right? Uh, high-end Lenovo, mm -hmm. uh, because really, from a high-end hardware standpoint, we want to be on the same level playing field. Okay. So when someone's considering to buy, that they look at our hardware equivalent to the mm -hmm. hardware of the highest-end manufacturers. But then we go beyond that with clearly by having a, a belief system that's the same mm -hmm. as a lot of uh, backers, which of course is that you should have your rights fully respected. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's where, uh, so it was very much taken from that. However, I will say, even though these versions here are raw aluminum, all the versions we're shipping mm -hmm. uh, are going to be raw aluminum with anodized black. So that way we actually, while Apple doesn't have a patent on aluminum, mm -hmm. uh, we want to differentiate ourselves. So that way when people open that up, that they that people are going to know that that's different. That's yep. the Purism laptop. They, they're not going to come with a logo, right? Yep. So they're so they're still going to be super cool. But they um, they will have a key, a logo key. But yep. they're uh, but that's the only logo that's going to be on the machine itself. When you so you said that you are working on getting the everything in the stack free. But right now there's there's one blob that still exists. That's correct. So but that's and that's at the BIOS level. Mm -hmm. So the um, so all software is free, which means the bootloader. Right, the uh, kernel, uh, where there's no binary blobs mm -hmm. uh, in the kernel or, for, or binaries that are even needed to power any of the drivers, mm -hmm. and this uh, operating system and all software. But if we, if we go down low enough, we're actually talking about the uh, Intel FSP binary mm -hmm. that has to get loaded inside of Coreboot. Mm -hmm. So Coreboot is free software, right. but the binary that comes from Intel uh, is required to, uh, to boot the machine. But so that's actually just to get Free Software Foundation Respects Your Freedom endorsement. Mm -hmm. But there's actually a level below that, which we're also working on to free, mm -hmm. which is the firmware within inside of solid state drives and hard drives. Mm -hmm. um, that we, that's not an area that we need, you know, we don't need to complicate the Free Software Foundation's Respect Your Freedom certification by adding that, but that is actually our goal as well. Mm -hmm. So really what we're, you know, what we want is we want anybody who's interested in that, mm -hmm. Right, uh, that we are we want to hire those people mm -hmm. because we want to end up freeing those things. Right? Would you say that the people that uh, that are really, really, really on the on the extreme edge of that of uh, fighting for your freedom, people like Richard Stallman, would they be okay with that with that blob existing? Uh, no. So, so I mean, Richard Stallman, as an yeah. example, he would not use this machine until that BIOS okay. is free. So, the, okay. So here's my next question: When you when you have a machine like this. Uh, if I wanted to take Ubuntu 1404 or Fedora Core 21 or Arch Linux and I loaded it on there, everything would basically work out of the box, am I right? Absolutely. Any, anything that's a Linux-based kernel, uh, so any Linux-based distribution, there's anything that's GNU Linux, will run out of the box mm -hmm. without any BIOS binaries, uh, or sorry, uh, any uh, binaries required in the kernel level. 
So being as people like Richard Stallman would probably use a $200 computer, even if it looked like crap, just because it respected his freedom, and being that this computer runs is just absolutely gorgeous to look at and runs like every Linux distribution out of the box because, the, you know, because it's designed to do that, um, have you considered marketing the computer towards a high-end Linux laptop uh, rather than pushing so far on the it respects your freedoms aspect of it? <clears throat> yeah, so there's actually a number of audiences that would be interested, right? right. Uh, since we, you know, our name is Purism, mm -hmm. right? We actually want to have a completely free BIOS level yeah. and even go to the microcode level. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, uh, so that is our core goal. Mm -hmm. However, that core goal also picks up these other audiences that you're interested yeah. in. That, so, you know, anybody who's interested in just a GNU Linux-based mm -hmm. laptop mm -hmm. would also be interested in a high-end GNU yes. Linux-based laptop. Right. That's, that is actually probably, you know, even the lowest hanging fruit in the core, the core backers, yeah. right? Um, so while we're, we are trying to appease the Jacob Applebaums, who's mm -hmm. a, now an advisor to us, mm -hmm. by the way, um, uh, as well as Richard Stallman's, because we, because we also believe that. Right, but by believing that and being the most pure we can, mm -hmm. then we pick up on everybody above that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then you know, but we also are uh, marketing towards anybody who's interested in their privacy mm -hmm. as well as their freedom. Because mm -hmm. so we added hardware kill switches, uh, which are actually going to be in. Um, they don't happen to be in these prototypes because I've given away all the prototypes that have them to the press. Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, but that actually kills the hardware at the circuit level, mm -hmm. the webcam and microphone and wireless and Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are uh, additional things that actually end up making sure that they respect your privacy as well as freedom. So then we actually, you know, in a, in a typical funnel aspect, you know, we're, we're talking about addressing the hardcore developers mm -hmm. uh, who, who, are, who understand what respect your freedom even yeah. means. And then by, by proxy, mm -hmm. we pick up anybody who's a GNU Linux user and then by proxy, we pick up anybody who's a privacy user, yeah. and we actually have solid uh, footing to stand on because uh, our philosophies and the belief system that we have and how we go about manufacturing that. Do you have any uh, concept or any plans to release this inside of like a retail store, like having Best Buy pick it up, or Office Max, or, or Newegg, or something like that, or selling, selling at a place where somebody could walk into a store and maybe they, you know, maybe users don't understand that they should care about their freedom. But then they walk in and they go, this is a really nice laptop that has a lot, that leverages a lot of the same advantages that Mac OS would leverage, except it has a lot of, it doesn't have a lot of the detractors that Mac OS has. I might pick that up instead. Is that something that's on your radar at all? Yeah, it is. However, it, you know, to be candid, it, that's going to be at the earliest we're talking about two years out. And the reason wow. is, yeah. the reason is because it actually takes a long time to negotiate to have those things yeah, on the you know on the floor but my end goal and I even actually envision that comparing mm -hmm. you know if you have a, a MacBook with mm -hmm. Mac OS running mm -hmm. and you have a Lenovo right with Windows running and next to it you have a purism Librem with completely free software mm -hmm. right then when someone comes there that they can actually buy based off of their belief system which yeah. is I can want a super sexy MacBook mm -hmm. or I want a great made you know, Lenovo, mm -hmm. or I want a fantastic made Purism machine, mm -hmm. but this one respects my freedoms, mm -hmm. that that's the one that they would end up going to. So it is our goal to actually end up having the machines physically out there where you people can touch them, mm -hmm. because even from this show alone, 
so many uh, people, developers, users come up and actually want to feel what the what the key clicks are like, right? They want to yeah, actually interact. Yeah. So, so we do we do definitely intend uh, to do that. And then we're also contemplating with once we're actually shipping, you know, uh, after September, to you know to having um, you know a, a means of actually allowing for demo units, right? So if you want to try it out for a certain period of time, mm -hmm. et cetera, right? So we can end up having a uh, you know a handful of units that are actually de dedicated to uh, demoing. You guys decided to go with your own distribution when you launched this uh, laptop, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So, <clears throat> so it's actually called PureOS. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the great grandchild of Debian, probably my favorite distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, Debian doesn't happen to be Free Software Foundation endorsed mm -hmm. uh, because of their non-free uh, um, additional library uh, uh, directories. But their main, main is should be Free Software Foundation endorsed. Mm -hmm. uh, so then uh, Ubuntu is their derivative, mm -hmm. right? And then Triscoll is a is a derivative of Ubuntu. And then we base off of Triscoll because Triscoll is a Free Software Foundation endorsed distribution. It's a fantastic distribution. Mm -hmm. So then we um, so we are a derivative of that where we basically add we add Cinnamon. A desktop environment, and then we add a bunch of privacy-related uh, add-ons. So that's usually around browsing. So we add Tor browser by default. We add HTTPS Everywhere, Random Agent Spoofer, uh, Privacy Badger, uh, uh, uBlock, so we can block some newer threats. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so we basically are looking at how we want to approach uh, security. Why not install? Why not customize the install of Triscoll and just leave it as the laptop ship with Triscoll? It's a recognizable name, and then you guys aren't maintaining a distribution. Haven't you added a whole lot of overhead to your to your own support in in essentially essentially forking the distribution? Yeah, it's not. So I mean, I want to be clear. Right now, it is not a fork. It's actually package add-ons. We are maintaining okay. all of their packages in our own uh, archive, sure. but they are theirs, right? Uh -huh. So, so for us, it's it is. We want to be able to add those component parts, mm -hmm. but the decision is not doesn't really just stop there. Mm -hmm. The longer term mm -hmm. for us is that uh, because the marriage between hardware and software yeah. is only growing, uh -huh. and defaults are very very powerful, yes. right? So what we what we just saw the writing on the wall is that if we were just a GNU Linux you know hardware maker where you can install you select your yeah. OS right. that you know, your distribution you want and then just install that, then we kind of artificially constrain the audience size of who actually would want a default um, uh, you know Linux on the desktop. So so what we what we wanted to do is we wanted to pick a distribution that has a, the same belief system that we can then end up adding onto to build out. So when we, you know when someone gets the machine, all the software on it is default to protect them. It's easy to use, and we can end up rebranding or improving upon the software by uh, by default. And so our goal is to uh, to hire more software developers to improve upon the actual OS. The UI of the OS, the usability of the OS, the interactivity of the OS, and we actually also have some, you know, uh, grandiose plans uh, later on, many years down the line, where we can uh, start to write um, services that actually can uh, be freed as well. That's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Um, so. You started with the 15-inch version. I had a 15-inch laptop, and I swore by it for years and years and years. And a company I did a short stint with, gave they issued me a 13-inch laptop and said, this is what you'll use. And I said, yeah, uh-huh. I'll take that, I'll put it at home, and I'll take my 15-inch one, because I like my 15-inch laptop. Yeah. I used it once on an airplane. 
I was sold. 13 inch, yes. I will never go back. Yes. Right. Why is it that you guys, and so many companies are doing this, Dell has discontinued most of their 13 inches, uh, Lenovo has discontinued most of their 13 inches, they've gone to either 14 or 12.5. Why is it that you guys went from the 15 to the, to the 13? Uh, wow, that's a great question. So the, we initially, when we were actually looking to source materials, mm -hmm. uh, you take reference designs. So these are you know, d designs that manufacturing is already tooled for, mm -hmm. and then we can leverage those. So mm -hmm. the reason that I don't have to place a you know, a 50,000 unit run or a million unit run mm -hmm. is because I can leverage reference designs uh, to get to a small quantity mm -hmm. runs. So that goes for motherboard and cases. Mm -hmm. So what I looked at was what reference designs exist, mm -hmm. what screen sizes exist, what motherboard reference designs from Intel in this case exist so that way I can manufacture uh, motherboard and component parts. So in that case, the the tools that were available, the mm -hmm. tooling and the process was available for a 15.6 inch and a 13.3 inch. Mm -hmm. So it was actually not an active decision of oh, I really want a 4.3 screen, yeah. which we don't have. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and uh, you know, so that 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 limited me in what I can get. However, I actually also happen to really like when I brought yeah. in the brought them in yeah. and you know and, and sourced the parts and brought in the the case and everything else that I love the 15.6 inch. I actually like it mm -hmm. as a widescreen personally. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very wide landscape, especially for coding uh, side by side. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the 13 inch is also uh, is 1920 1080. Mm -hmm. uh, but the um, to get to the to get to the heart of your question is that mostly those decisions were made because of the reference designs mm -hmm. that I can source. Sure. Now, one of the things that I noticed that you added. So I work my day job, so to speak. I'm an IT consultant. And so a big part of my job is going in and troubleshooting networks. And when I'm doing that, especially in the corporate sphere, we don't have Wi-Fi. We have a switch, and I plug my laptop in. I notice you guys have a wired jack, even on the 13-inch model. Yes. What led to that decision? Again, actually, that happens to be from the tooling. Okay. So the tooling actually offered a slot that can, we can put a pop-down RJ45 slack in. Uh -huh. uh, the caveat is it's probably good you didn't get the 15 inch because the 15 inch Rev 2 is so thin that we don't have that option with the tooling, so we can't have the RJ45, uh -huh. uh, which is a, a bummer for somebody like me as well. But the 13 inch, the prototypes we already have, the tooling we have in place, the manufacturing mm -hmm. run we're going to do, uh, will include the pop down RJ45 jack. Now this one, now the 13 inch, the Kickstarter, or the sorry, the Crowd Supply just launched not that long ago. Um, how are you guys doing on on your on your backers so far? Well, it's, so it's actually interesting you bring that up. Is that so? We launched a 15-inch, which closed at about 400 grand of our of our quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. But we did actually have to extend that because that was uh, at the point of um, running right into the holidays uh, of yeah. last year. So we're now shipping that in September timeframe. Uh -huh. But uh, when we launched this campaign, we we hadn't thought about the obvious thing, which is that when we bring awareness about what we're doing, that someone's that someone's still going to want either the 13-inch or 15-inch. Right. So we've now raised an additional, you know, 90 grand mm -hmm. for the 15 yeah, inch yeah. <laughs> when when that funds we really needed it to go towards the yeah, 13 inch right so you know so uh, so now we actually are working with um, we're probably going to have to extend the uh, the 13 inch campaign uh, for a couple of reasons one is that it's div divided between the 15 inch and 13 inch mm -hmm. funding and I can't mix those to actually fund the manufacturing mm -hmm. run of the motherboard mm -hmm. uh, and and then also we have um, a lot of very large press that have our review units mm -hmm. that are going to be running articles, and so we want to make sure we can capitalize on those being run. The uh, You guys did something very interesting, and I noticed this on your website, and it really struck a chord with me. You can buy a credit towards a purchase. Like, let's say I'm a person, and I'm like, 
I love what Purism is doing, but I want to see which, I'm not sure which one I want yet, so I want to wait until both of them ship and people have them in their hands and they've tried them and then I want to buy one. But I really want this company to succeed, so I really want to support them now. You can buy credit towards one of these laptops, right. even if you're not buying a laptop yet, and then use that credit towards the laptop when you finally make your decision. What led to that concept? Uh, well, actually, like most things, especially in the 15-inch campaign, uh, is backer feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, so there's a bunch of people who are like, you know, I want to make sure there's a review put out before, mm -hmm. uh, you know, beforehand, uh, so they, but they're interested enough in the product. So we actually offer a $500 coupon for $450. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and you can get as many of those as you want, actually, mm -hmm. so it's a great way to actually end up buying a bunch of those coupons and using them. Uh, so we did that uh, because backers were, were interested in doing that. And we're like, that's a great idea, you know, and so it was, it was actually introduced by the user feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of, the, uh, one, of, one of the great things about that is then that allowed us to, you know, make sure that we also know that, hey, people want this reviewed. So um, Kyle Rankin from Linux Journal reviewed the 15-inch and he actually just published maybe about a week and a half ago, a review of the 13-inch version. Uh -huh. um, and then we're, you know, and then we have a list of about, you know, it's about 20 long of review units. We don't have actually enough review units of our prototypes yeah. to get them out there. And we're, you know, we're just trying to pump them out as quickly as we can. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a number of things that seemed to be inspired by feedback. I think the entire revision to a lot of those changes came from your feedback, right? Uh, absolutely, actually. So, um, so the first revision was basically me creating it in my basement, mm -hmm. you know, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, putting something out there like that, then I ended up hearing feedback, right? And then we started to just tabulate that feedback and say, you know what, we we can go back to the drawing board, mm -hmm. manufacture our own motherboard, right, that it can have support 32 gig of RAM mm -hmm. and, you know, and have a 4K screen. And uh, and so so then we, and then there's a couple also that, you know, backer feedback that comes in. So really the Rev2 literally is backer designed, yeah. right? Uh, and then we took a lot of those designs and applied them to the 13-inch already. So um, so it's it's great. It's been great. I, I, I can't tell you how much I support and, and enjoy what you're doing. I think this is super cool. I really, really, really hope to be one of the one of the first people to get my 13-inch my version when it ships. Uh, you said that's good. You're hoping those will come ship September? So right now our plan is to ship September, but if we actually extend the, the campaign, oh, sure. then, uh, then, then we're in a balance of, do I place the order before my funding goes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which I can do, uh, but then I'm basically locking in that it's yeah. gonna succeed. Or do I delay it? Um, you know, and because of our campaign with the 15-inch, you know, and we have so many people that are are interested and so many people that are supporting us, that uh, that we're, we're, we're that's kind of worth that decision point now. Do we pull the trigger and yeah. and and run our you know uh, and place the order for to manufacture the motherboard mm -hmm. so that way we can meet the se September ship date for the 13-inch? Mm -hmm. If we don't, then we however long we delay the campaign, mm -hmm. let's say it's 30 days, let's say it's 45 days, then then we're going to tack that on the end. So that would be October, November-ish, if at the latest for the 13-inch campaign. The the 15-inch is going to be shipping uh, September. And where should everyone be going right this minute, right this time to go order their Librem 13 or their Librem, 15, uh, Librem 15? Uh, you can go to Crowd Supply, C R O W D S U P P L Y. It will appear right here. Mm -hmm. uh, CrowdSupply.com.
That's good. Thank you so much. We really appreciate what you're doing. That was definitely our favorite booth. And one of the things we got to do when the camera turned off is we were able to walk in front of it and pick it up and play with them. And, you know, I really looked at the 15 and the 13. And those of you who've watched the show for a while, remember, I backed the 15 inch. There wasn't a 13 inch at the time. And so he said mine should be, should, should be shipping sometime in September. So we will definitely be doing a full Linux action show review. Noah, are you sleepy from OSCON? How are you feeling? You all right? Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Good. It, it, OSCON was one of those events that it like it took it took a lot out of me. And then obviously, so for those for those people that don't know, the um, OSCON we did OSCON a little differently this year. Um, I brought actually my wife and my kids out. Chris brought brought his wife and his kids out, and we actually went to a resort, and we stayed there and let the the kids yeah. play at the at the, it was a Great Wolf Lodge. Yeah, it's a kids and, it's like a kids water park. Yeah, and so so they went and did that, and so then we just we went and we did OSCON for a little bit, but the majority of the week we actually spent um, just kind of hanging out and, yeah, and talking great. about yeah. uh, you know ideas and, and ways to change things and, and and different show content ideas and stuff like that. Um, but it was like it was like one thing after another that yeah. we we had to do, and, and so then I flew home on Saturday. Yeah, uh, landed. I I ate a quick dinner and then immediately got to work because I had to get all those clips done, and I had to uh, get some stuff in in the studio done. Uh, to hopefully make uh, to make last work because when I left it, we had changed a couple things. No, and also we did something. We did we did one thing a little differently as well. Is uh, not only we go down and get the video interviews, but this time I went down with an audio recording setup, and I right. recorded I recorded interviews with intentionally just to get them for Linux Unplugged. So they recorded uh, just for Linux Unplugged. Uh, for example, on Tuesday's episode of Linux Unplugged, I think I'm going to play this interview with Fastmail and about how they use Linux and open source behind the scenes to make Fastmail possible and the mm -hmm. code they're contributing upstream to open source, which kind of blew my mind. Also, um, we saw some amazing Tizen stuff. Uh, and the coolest thing was the guy that was showing it to us was a fan of the show at the booth. So he was showing us like a, a really awesome Tizen phone, a really awesome, I, I don't want to get into all the stuff, but we saw Tizen on stuff. He had no idea they're even shipping Tizen on. Uh, and that's just a, that's just scratching the surface. I've got a bunch of interviews recorded just for Linux Unplugged. And it was fun because we walked around first with the audio gear set up and it was just boom, boom, boom. We knocked those audio interviews out. They turned out really awesome because you can walk up to the booth and you just say, hey, I'm Chris. Would you like to do an interview? And you start recording, you immediately go into conversation yeah. with the people. So yeah. uh, that'll be in Tuesday's Linux Unplugged, which um, is uh, 2 p.m. Pacific. If you want to uh, tune in live, just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the rest of those. But, uh, yeah, OSCON was a pretty good trip this year. And... Um, I really enjoyed seeing some of that hardware. The Librem stuff made me. Uh, if September feels like a really long, yeah. long, long ways away, I can't oh, wait to see that. Oh, you poor baby! I have to wait until after that. Oh, you know, but you know, you're probably going to get your hands on. It. In fact, I might even be seeing you in that time frame. You get your hands on it and yeah, play with straight. it. Yeah, that's even worse, though, man. That's that's even worse. That's like saying that's like saying we're both going to buy a new car. Oh, oh, yours is going to come a month later. Well, yeah. I'll have mine, so you can come ride in mine. Meanwhile, you're going to get worse. You're going to get the 13 inch model, and I'm going to totally want the 13 inch one. So yeah, you think so? Yeah, but here's so. the thing. If you uh, if you were if you were in tight little cramped spaces like airplanes, you might feel that way. But uh, you seem you have the ability to kind of control uh, your both your travel environment and the environment that you're that you're kind of set up. You're saying I like the open road, Noah. I like the open road. I'm saying you like the open road, and I'm saying that you spend a disproportionate amount of your time at your desk or in mm. your studio because mm -hmm. you're a workaholic. And so in those circumstances, <laughs> you could have a 15 inch or 17 inch or a 19 inch or a 25 inch. Yeah. Asus makes a 24 inch laptop, right? Or a Bonobo Extreme, Extreme, yeah. Extreme. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. 
true. Uh, so the yeah. power brick is twice the size of the computer. <laughs> almost, almost. Although it's too big of a computer for that to actually be true. Yeah. Uh, so uh, more OSCON and Linux Unplugged, more really good stuff that we got just for Linux Unplugged exclusive stuff. And there's a little bit of news that breaks in there as well. So uh, check out the show notes for more links about OSCON. And if you're in the Texas area, might be something you want to check out in the future. Oh, and also thanks to those uh, of you who showed up for our meetup. We had a uh, small meetup yes. at the uh, Spirit of 77, uh, which was a lot of fun. Some really good conversation about music and, uh, uh, well, porn and other things, but it was really good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was after the beer got poured a few times, right? And some right. killer nachos, too, and some really great wings, too. So yeah. that, was, that was a really good time. It was good to see everybody there. So it was good to shake, shake some hands at OSCON, too. But, Noah, if you, if you can believe it, that is the Linux Action Show's look at OSCON 2015. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Noah, we were going to do emails, but the uh, OSCON interviews went on for very long. And we thought, well, we probably should maybe keep it a little tighter towards the end here. So I'll just wrap it up by saying... awesome. It was too much awesome. I'll just I'll just wrap it up by saying do join us for Linux Unplugged, but also check out the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, news, stories, app picks, and if perhaps new and crazy things are happening in the show in the future, discussion threads about it would be at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Things that could change the show forever! Or at least for a week or two. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com news, app picks, open source projects that need more attention, and your insights are all appreciated there. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and email the show. We'll be getting back to emails next week. And the calendar to join us live, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And the uh, robots there automatically convert it to your local time zone. Noah, where would you like to send people to find you throughout the week? You can head over to AltaSpeed. We're making a couple changes uh, now that I've gotten back. Uh, we just actually we were talking about making some changes before I left town, and now that I got back, some of those are going to roll into effect, and those will all be available at AltaSpeed.com. And uh, of, where else was I? Oh, I guess I was sending people to OSCON last week. That doesn't apply. But you can join us uh, for LinuxCon. I'm sure very soon there's going to be a meetup created for LinuxCon, and if yeah. not, uh, you could come to the actual event. That's going to be in Seattle. We're going to be doing live coverage. Uh, that is the plan anyway at this point of LinuxCon. It's going to be our next live event. So if you're in the Seattle area or if you're planning on going to LinuxCon, yep. make sure to stop by to say hi. Make sure to reach out to us so we know to expect you. Um, and when that meetup group, if and when that meetup group gets created, then make sure to sign up there because the people that that uh, that came at Portland, we had an absolute blast, and it's it's really fun to have kind of one on one uh, a chance to talk one on one when we're not in the middle of doing other things like yeah. filming interviews. Yeah, yeah, uh, I will definitely do a meetup in Seattle. So LinuxCon is mm-hmm. going to be August seventeenth through the nineteenth, and we're going to do some of it live uh, there on the floor, and uh, we'd love to see you there. And Seattle's a great town to come hang out in, especially in August. It's going to be a little hot, but it's a great town, and uh, there's a lot of great attractions to see when it's warm out. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Uh, you can go to uh, Linux Foundation's page or just Google LinuxCon to get more information about LinuxCon North America 2015. Right here in Seattle. How could we not go to that one, right? That mm-hmm. one's like in the backyard, quite literally. All right. Wow. That's a huge show. But it was great to go down to Portland and get all of that in one episode. This, So, you know, we thought about maybe breaking it up into a couple episodes so it wouldn't be so huge. But we wanted to give you one episode where we could put all of OSCON 2015 into it. So that's the action for you. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. So, uh, what do you think of... Do you know about these Aladdin series campers? What do you think of these? Do you know about these? No, never heard of Aladdin. Well, they don't make them anymore. Ah. I'm Googling. Oh! I I found a restored... Last night, I found a restored Aladdin magic carpet, uh, 15-foot, 1964 vintage trailer... 
It actually has like a, almost like a queen size mattress in the back of it, almost. And it has a front area where you, I could, I easily pictured like being able to have somebody sit there and do an interview with them. Yeah, yeah. This is actually very similar to what I have. Very similar. So uh, this is kind of, this is not the one I was looking at in particular, but just so the chat room gets an idea of kind of the size yeah. of it. Um, and uh, am I sending you a return video? Yeah, I am, right? Yeah. Yes, you are. Um, so here, I'll pull up the 1964 one. But here's the thing, though, is I don't know how much something like this is worth. Because they were asking for 6800 Now, it was in really good shape, and I had, like, a new bottom, new bedding, new floor. Right. Uh, so, uh, mine, brand new, with a two-year warranty, was ten. Um, what was a, it? Is it 1964? It's a, no, it's not, not a 1964. Yeah. Um, That's, and it, dude, is that something I should be worried about? See, here's the, see, here's the back area. So, here's the sink, and then this is actually almost a damn near queen-size bed with a storage area up here in the rear. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very slick. The nice thing about that, the nice thing about that under uh, ten thousand dollars price point is, it doesn't make or break you, right? Like if you bought that for sixty eight hundred, you get sixty eight hundred back out of it. If you decided in a year you wanted to sell it, um, when you start getting into the more expensive RVs, they depreciate constantly. That thing has depreciated about as far as it's going to depreciate. It's not going down anymore. It'll hmm. probably be worth whatever you. You know what I mean? That's, that's an interesting that, point. That, that's the way I would look at it. That's not a bad. Yeah, that's not a bad point at all, is it? Okay, so then I had another idea, and this is one I needed from the. This is one I need help from the chat room. And uh, chat room, this is going to require all of your magical skills. But okay, you ready for this, Noah? What if? So hold on, let me pull this up here. So let's go to maps.google.com, right? Maps. And uh, let's go from. Uh, how do you tell maps to go specifically via US two? I want to go from Arlington Wa to Grand Forks, North Dakota. That's Nind. Huh? That's Nind. Arlington, Wah, to Grand Forks, Nint. So, uh, so Grand Forks, directions to, yep. and I yep. say from Arlington. So I would say And then detail. there is a way to tell it via US, too, right? Oh, yeah, it'll ask me. All right, so, yeah, because you see there's actually, uh, what's, what's kind of cool is there's, uh, there's two routes I could take, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's uh, the more popular traveled, uh, the easier one is I-90 because you don't have to go over the passes as much. Yeah, yeah. But US, too, takes the northerly route, which I think I would prefer. Uh, it's about the same. T uh, it's about the same amount of time. So mm -hmm. what I was thinking. Oh come on! Don't no. I want to show the route. Come on. Oh come on. What I was thinking. Why does it? Why does it do me like this? Why does I don't it, know. Why? Why does that happen? Why does it do me like this? Because because Google hates you. Yeah. Come on now. All right. So here's uh, here's what I was thinking. Is wouldn't it be super badass? Is if we could have the, somebody in the chat room build us like a website that sits over the top of Google Maps, and then we could have people in the community claim like sections of the road trip. So like yeah. they could claim where we go, and they could claim like where we stop, who we meet up with. Uh, this this one this might be a little uh, beyond your comfort level, but you yeah. know what else we could do? And all my ham radio friends will love. There's something uh, there is something called APRS, and basically everyone in the chat you could have this box in in your camper. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And I could do anyone, glimpse too though, right, or something like you that. You could, but that requires cell phone service. So yeah. if you drop out, then all of a sudden you're not getting. I would absolutely. Location. I absolutely have to have a tracker. Yeah, I got it. No, it's got to yeah. be tracked. Um, so I was thinking is, I was thinking, uh, what did you think, Kids and Kitty? Was it a good trip? I was thinking if people in the community claimed different sections, that's how maybe we could help finance part of it, is they could claim different sections of the trip and like they could determine what we do in that area, like what natural thing we visit or things like that. And, Ooh, uh, that sounds good. And then I'll record something from there and publish it uh, when we get there and make a little thing about it. And be sort of like it'll be it'll be cataloging the journey. 
So I like this idea. So it'd be a website that sits over the top of Google Maps and then it allows people to stake their claim with a with a uh, donation amount that we could use to help. Because the thing is, is it's probably going to cost quite a bit of money, and I'm going to have to yeah. during this time either you're going to be having to host some of the shows, or or like some shows are going to have to be audio only or something or mm -hmm. some mix of them. And plus, mm -hmm. I'd like to experiment with maybe doing different kinds of ideas of shows on the road, like kind of just be kind of creative with it and kind of come up with maybe new ideas while traveling, and I'd like to kind of make that possible. So I was thinking yeah. we would have like, so this person would own this section of the trip and we'd call it their section of the trip and and uh, do a thing for them. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know. You, Google lets you build thing like websites over the top of Google Maps, right? So look yeah. at that, though. So Noah, for the people who don't know, it turns out that there is this highway, US-2, yeah, that yeah, runs pretty right. much across all of the US, goes yeah. pretty much from Washington to Maine, even over Canada. It goes through Canada a little bit. We saw the start of this. Yeah, we were at the start of this road. I saw the piece of pavement start. Yeah, it starts, it starts here in Snohomish County, where I live. And uh, it literally, so you get on this one highway, and this one highway goes all the way, almost, to Noah's front door, almost. It will, it will get you, let me think here, it will get you one, two, three, four turns from my driveway. It will take you four times, you'll have to turn your steering wheel four times from the time that you get on Highway 2 yeah. until you're sitting in my driveway. Yeah. It, it blows my mind that there's a highway that starts here in Washington that is four or five turns from your house. You know, if, I, if you were a different gender or I was a different gender, it would be a really sweet thing for you to go stand out on one part uh, of Highway 2 and I'd go stand out on the other and then uh, we would be connected via pavement. That's so adorable-ish. Yeah. Um, so that seemed like, so then, because I was thinking about taking a road trip anyways, and I wanted to make it out there so we could document the uh, home automation stuff and do yeah. that. And so Utah I do need to, isn't going I do anymore. need to warn you, Utah will probably <laughs> be a lot prettier than North Dakota. So just prepare well, yourself and, for that. And Montana is a lot of Montana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the best stuff on US two happens in Washington and Idaho. <laughs> yeah. But but you know we'll have a good time anyway. Maybe. But see, the thing is, if community members could claim different sections, they might know about more different areas than we do. Yeah, that's true. Well, there's. I mean, every city, every city has something fun to do. Yeah, so like it has you got a and W root beer. Yeah, we have a lot more than A and W root beer. I don't find that person and smack them. Yeah.